Hello and welcome to this Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot making of featuring cast and crew on this very special bumper edition of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson and I'm delighted to welcome you to this bumper edition uh, where we talk in depth about Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot, from the very beginning, how it happened, with a lot of our cast and crew joining in, coming in for chats. I'll go into detail about who they are in a minute, but first, we're going to play the trailer. Arthur has abandoned us. An army is nothing without his father's guidance, the king's guidance. There is no king without Excalibur. Who's a fortunate lady? Queen Guinevere. But she is already wed to our king. <laughs> you will marry me, or I will kill you. My body is no more yours than the throne. What is my cause, Merlin? I fought a war, and the reason has been lost. What better reason than home? Today, we are to witness not just a union, but a coronation. Your duty is to each other. And remember who we are. We are more than men. We are knights, chosen to protect Camelot. King does not mourn his own betrayal. He does not fight so others can rest. He does not survive because he fears death. He endures. Lancelot! That was the trailer for Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot. It is out now. It is available on digital and on DVD. And links to that are in the show notes. Right, now I want to introduce to you my co-host today. It is the fantastic Andrew Roger. Hello, buddy. Hello, it's me. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. You look well. Your beard is delightful. Your hair is curly. And it's very locked down. Locked down. I'm glad no one can see it, but thank you. Very kind of you to say. It is. And a- Andrew Roger, if you don't know, is a fantastic cinematographer. I've worked with him many times and I would again. Uh, some of his amazing credits, and we're only listing a few here, are The Dare. Uh, World of Darkness, uh, Plebs, which you've probably seen on TV, as well as Borderline, and he's made many others as well. Thank you for co-hosting with us, Andrew. Thanks, mate. Thanks for inviting me. And our other co-host today is Lucinda Rose Thakra. Hello, Lucinda. Hi, Charles. How are you doing? I'm good. I was really nervous about the release, but now it's out. All the pressure (gasps) is gone. (laughs) Well, yes, gone, but still there, right? Still in the ether. It's still a strange feeling to have a movie out. We'll get to that in a second. I just want to list some of your amazing credits so people know uh, your wonderful producing skills. Uh, They include Robin Hood, The Rebellion, which you made for Signature Entertainment, who are behind this movie, as well as behind the line uh, Escape to Dunkirk, which is out... Uh, August uh, the 3rd. August the 3rd, um, We Go In at Dawn, which came out a month or so ago, uh, and Undercover Hooligan. Hooligan, I just... Hooligan. Undercover Hooligan. I am so tired, everyone. (laughs) I would have thought you'd know that word, being a football hooligan yourself, Giles. Well, yes, you'd think so. I've been a Barnsley (laughs) fan. Of course I'm a hooligan. Um, 
So yeah, this is my wonderful team doing this podcast with me. We've spent two wonderful days talking to our amazing cast and crew. You can imagine we had some fun and talked for long. So I've got to edit all those down. And I've been doing loads of press and stuff for the film coming out. So I am tired. So bear with me if I do struggle or bumble through this. I have had a coffee as well. So fun and games. But Andrew and Lucinda are going to help for me, aren't you? Absolutely. We'll We're see. a team. <laughs> That's what it was like on set. I'd say, can someone help me? Listen to go, absolutely. And Andy would go, maybe. <laughs> What's in it for me? That, yeah, what's in it for me? Why should, why should I do this? Why hey, I'm help just you? a DP. Oh. What's in it for me? Yeah. What do you want from me? <laughs> coffee? <laughs> coffee, please. It was only on Arthur and Merlin I learned to drink coffee. On the dare, I didn't drink coffee. I didn't. But actually why? on Arthur and Merlin, I had to. Why did I have to or why did I not drink it before? No, what, no why didn't you? Because I was worried that it made me a bit crazy. Oh, I was no, no, it no. You were crazy bit. anyway. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah, worry about yeah. the coffee. That's not going to stop you. What? What was in your mug during the day? Because you had a mug all the time. What was in your... It was tea and it was a protein shake. Oh, so right, I was... Okay. Because I had to keep myself going. You know, you're burning the candle at both ends when you're making a film. You need something in your flask But we're not talking to keep about the going. dare, are we? Which... Oh, no, we're not talking about the dare, which is out now in the USA and Canada, if you want to go watch that. And in Hong Kong cinemas. And in the UK in October, right? Thank you. No, we were not talking about that, Lucinda. No, we're not we talking were, about I the could just, I could just go and get a coffee myself. Don't talk about the go dare. Get a co- you could talk about the dare. You've not seen it yet, have you? I haven't seen it because I've been very busy working on Arthur and Merlin, Nice and Camelot, <laughs> and many other things like Behind the Lion, Escape to Dunkirk, which is out on August the 1st, starring Sam Gittins and many more. <laughs> Many more. If this I is love a that. commercial. This is a commercial for us. We're amazing. Uh, no, we're not. But what we are here to do is just to give you information and insights, like the Filmmakers Podcast is about. It's about helping you lot go out there and make your film. And when we made Arthur and Merlin, we thought, well, why not talk about it? Why not help you guys? It is out. If you do want to support and go watch it, please do. And if you like it, put a great review. And if you don't like it, shut the fuck up and don't talk about it anymore. Um, but please follow us uh, on Twitter at Giles Alderson, at 35mm to DOP and at Lucinda Rhodes and give us some love for doing this and supporting you. So my co-hosts today are staying with me for the duration. Let's talk about who we've got on the podcast, shall we? How exciting. I'm so excited. So our first guest coming up for you is the fantastic Richard break he plays merlin uh, he's not only been he played joe chill in batman he's been in mandy recently with uh, nicholas cage he has also been in kingsman um oh my god the list goes on he's a horror legend he's also in the dare by the way it. but we're I not talking it. about the dare the what <laughs> it's called the dare andy you might so Richard Brake is joining us and he, he talks in depth about his passion for Merlin and doing this project with us. And then, Lucinda, who have we got straight after Richard Brake? We have our wonderful first AD, Stu Laurie, and our production manager, the lovely and always calm, cool and collected Jess Gardner. It's an amazing. Normally on the podcast, we talk to directors and producers and screenwriters. So we're opening it up, everyone. We're talking to first ADs and production designers. Uh, and we're also talking to makeup and costume. And they're coming up a little bit as well. We've got Brody Mayhew, a wonderful makeup and hair designer. And we have Robin Manton as well, our amazing costume designer. But before them, we have uh, Tim Fellingham, who plays Lancelot, and Richard Short, who plays Arthur. And then in one big cacophony of madness... 
We have our Knights of Camelot joining us. And do you know what? Some of this was recorded on Zoom. Some of it was recorded on Squadcast. Some of it was on Skype. It's a bit of a nightmare to edit all and put it all together, which I'll be doing later on today and tomorrow for you guys. So it's madness. So bear with us if some of the sound is up and down. Do you know what? Go with it because this is amazing bumper edition and you get all this amazing information of how people work on set. And it's free. On this amazing podcast. And it's free. Wasn't Stella on that call as well? Or was that a different call? That's the that's one coming up. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, uh, coming up after the makeup and costume, the wonderful Brody and Robin is Stella Stocker who played Guinevere. We do have Jennifer Martin plays Vortigany, and we have Joel Fillimore who plays Modred, our wonderful baddie. That is amazing. Then Lucinda, who have we got after that? Next up, we have our production designer Jamie Foot, who created the whole world behind Arthur Merlin, Knights of Camelot. So we get to talk to someone who worked on the production with us and we talk to him about how that happened and what happened. And then we go into post, don't we, Andy, where we talk to Ollie, uh, Oliver Parker, a wonderful editor. He also yeah. edited The Dare, by the way. Oh. The Dare? Um, What's that? <laughs> what? uh, the Dare is a wonderful horror movie, psychological, dark, deep, really cool, with some oh, brilliant casting, including Richard out. Short and Richard Brake, who are both in Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot as well. And then we go on to Lucinda's husband and fellow producer of Picture Perfect. It is. Jeet Thakra himself to talk about the whole post-production. Ladies and gentlemen, what more do you want from a filmmaking podcast than all the ins and outs of how to make a film with these wonderful people, right? Yep. Right! (laughs) We got there in the end. This is amazing. We're all tired, but so what? We can do this. All right, right, Jacqueline. Um, So, (laughs) Daniel Schutzman and Ronan are in uh, the dare as well. Oh, God, stop listening. You can't keep bringing the dare up. It's not about the dare today. Lucinda, this is Knights of Camelot talk. Why were you talking about the dare? Unbelievable, Lucinda. (laughs) You've got to stop that. So, yeah, there's there's a whole big team of dare crossover. So, yeah, yeah. it's a a prequel. It's a really, really long prequel, right? (laughs) Chris Johnson's been in a couple of my films. All right, big time. Don't show off now. Jeez. (laughs) Um, amazing I can't wait to talk to our knights we've got um, Daniel Schutzman we've got Chris Johnson who Lucinda mentioned who's been in some of her films as well as James Nunn who was in Robin Hood the Rebellion uh, what other knights we've got we've got Steve Upple and obviously Ronan Summers we mentioned him already we've got Ian Sharp Sharpie we've got Sharpie. wonderful Ian Sharp absolutely yeah and we've got Aaron May, who plays our youngest of the knights. And obviously for him, just what his experience was like as a young actor coming onto a movie set. Yeah, really cool. And just to give a shout out to Drew, who did our stunts on this film. Ian Campbell started off and helped design it. And then Drew came on, Drew Kung Fu on Instagram and did some amazing job with fight choreography with very little time and um, space to do it so that's all coming up for you but before we get there i wanted to talk myself and andy wanted to talk to lucinda and uh, for you guys to understand how a movie like this gets made so lucinda from the beginning when a project like this comes to you what happens how does it how does a film like arthur and merlin actually get made well i've actually worked with uh, elizabeth williams at signature entertainment for many years now and we were looking mm. at um another movie to develop uh, we have a few Uh, developing at the moment but at this time we were brainstorming ideas and we came up with Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot so we have this wonderful idea yet we have no concept or screenplay so just so people know is that because you know that that will sell in certain territories is that why you come up with certain concepts to go cool this would work 
Yeah, it doesn't always happen that way. You know, most of the time we do get sent some fantastic scripts and then and then we look at developing a project from there. But this particular project came up because the commercial market was looking for a historical action piece and it was mm-hmm. it was a genre that we felt had a huge fan base um, and an interesting movie to move forward with. Yeah. So that's how Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot was born. Amazing. Um, and, and it does sell, you're right, it does sell to certain territories. Um, obviously, you know, a sales agent or distributor would be able to go more in depth about that with you. But after we have come up with the idea, we, we need to find the story. You know, yes. what angle are we going to do? What, you know, whether, are we going to make it modern? Are we going to do all female cast? You know, how, how are we going to approach this? Yeah, so exciting we, at times. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. And I love, I love the process, the creative process of finding the right story because it's our interpretation of the film. And, and it's, it's going to always be difficult because of the fan base that the story has. You're either going to upset half the people, 75% oh, well, of the yeah, people. Well, yeah, you can't please everyone, can you? can't you? Yeah. please everybody. And as no, I said, it's our interpretation. It's folklore. You know, we're not taking any facts, but there's so much research that can be done. So I really feel for a writer when I approach them and say, can you come up with a, a story for me about King Arthur? And they go, oh, well, which bit? What what angle? And yeah, it's like, what's it about? What happens? I'm giving you, you know, free reign to go and find the research, the story wow. angle that you want to. It might not work for us. That's why we have to look at lots of different writers and lots of different concepts. And I think we went through about 25 to 30. Wow, 25 to 30 different concepts. That's incredible, right, that that came to you. And do you, do you go out there and search for these people? Do you have them already on your list to go, right, I'm going to send it to so-and-so and uh, that writer I like, that writer I like, and then you just send out the, the sort of pitch that you want you say okay we want a film about this is that what happens yeah it's a little bit of both actually with with regards to um writers we approach i mean we like to work with um trusted writers and trusted directors and and dps but you know it is also good to go out and find new fresh people mm-hmm. sure. um, and yeah. finding the right person for for the job um historical action is you know a, a genre that's very difficult to write uh, I'm not a writer, not easy, but yeah. it's well. It is because because you've you've got to write for budget for one. You've got to think about that, but also because the story could go anywhere. You know, it's like so you big. said, there's it's so, so many different areas to go in, and how do you put that into a beginning, middle, and end within the Arthur concept? Okay, so you've now got 25 or 30 different concepts coming to you. Mm. How do you then pick yourself and uh, and Liz at Signature Entertainment? Do you just go through and go right? This one works, and you whittle it down that way. Oh yeah, we whittle it down to let's say we've done 25 to 30. We whittle it down to about 15. Um, then down to 10 and then we talk about it in-house so Picture Perfect will talk about it Signature will talk about it you know what what will work for budget requirements uh, for the commercial market you know will it be able to lure you know great cast a great director you know we have to look at all of that because it Mm. has to work and there's lots of different pieces of the puzzle that need to be discussed it's not just oh well I I quite like that story so let's now go and make it there's a lot of other things that go into it um because you can have a great story but if it doesn't tick the other boxes you know it's out of balance then so Mm -hmm. we pick a concept we eventually get down to the one we are down to the one um Mm -hmm. And we we go back to the screenplay writer. In this in this time, it was Simon Cotton, who we've both worked with. Simon Cotton, I yes. worked with back in 2016 on Undercover Hooligan. 
he played one of our villains and he was marvellous. And I know you worked with him on Rise and Fall of the Craze. Correct. I was first AD on some of that. Yes. My indeed. memory so says we're, we're going back well here, Well done. We? Yeah, it wasn't the dare. It wasn't the dare oh, on this occasion. No. What's the dare, Giles? The dare is a really cool... <laughs> oh, no. Do you know what, guys? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get like... A, you know you have swear jars. So on film oh, sets... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or yeah. Someone, you should just drink. I, you, they say they like, drink oh, every time you mention games. the dare. We should drink. Yeah. It's worth what it. have you got there, Andy? It's my wallet. It's worth that? it. I'm ready to put my, ready to put money in to talk about oh, the dare. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like it's a, a swear it. jar. So every time you mention the dare, you both have to put a pound into my swear jar. Oh, great. And where does that money go? What happens to that money? Does that money go goes, towards goes towards the making of um, a documentary about the dare. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I'm in. I'm in. I'll keep um, saying the dare, the dare, the dare. The dare. So let's um, no, go back absolutely. to our writer. I'm just going to yes, take please. over here, Giles, because you're clearly please not do. concentrating yeah, on focusing. And I mean, <laughs> God knows how you got the Filmmakers Podcast up and running in the first place. So back to so our true. writer, Simon Cotton. Yes. So here we are. So we approach Simon Cotton and say, your concept is great um, and now we need to make it into the screenplay. So Simon then goes off and researches further and is given, you know, many months to write the first draft and then we review in-house, you know, with Picture Perfect and Signature. Then we go to second draft, third draft, up to how many drafts get to the level that we need to be to be able Mm -hmm. to secure a director which we approached Giles and Giles absolutely loved it Mm, or you wouldn't have signed up. So there we have, you know, great screenplay, a great director. Now the team is on its way and we can start moving forward into pre-production and setting the principal photography dates, building the team around now myself, Picture Perfect, um, Signature Giles to make this wonderful piece of work that hopefully you'll all watch and review wildly I love that so we're at director stage so for me I remember getting the call from you and saying yeah of course I'm really interested and then from my end after I said I really like this um what I had to do was then uh, pitch a little bit so I'd I say a little bit quite a lot so I now have to prove to you guys that I can make the movie so I I did a concept piece I know I did um a mood reel I did a, a sort of a mini essay on how I would direct it as well so we went through the whole gamut of how I would actually make the movie um from literally you know from each scene going through it. and then I went in and talked to the team about how I would do it and eventually yeah you picked me and it was a really lovely moment when you said yeah cool do you want to actually direct this movie now so just so everyone knows it you know I still had to pitch for it and I still had to do my due diligence and understand the concept and understand so they knew what I would want to do with the movie as well yeah so now you've got your director I then say well I'd like to work with Andy as a DP um, oh no 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 not Andy that guy's the worst (laughs) you'd never guess what I worked with Andy on oh Um, it was was a little film called A World of Darkness World of Darkness (laughs) (laughs) where's my second documentary which is about the (laughs) (laughs) Um, because we'd done uh, that other movie together, that we felt that, you know, for me, I really want to work with Andy again. And I felt it was really important to have that team. And when you find someone you really like to work with and you connect on set when it's you're in the trenches and it's very difficult and you mm. need someone to understand your mind when I'm just going, uh, bah, bah, uh, Andy left and he'll go, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, and you need that. You need that connection. From your side, Andy, how did you feel when I approached you? Yeah, it was good. I mean, we spoke about it for a while and then I went off and did, uh, I just come off plebs, um, 
So I'd come off this yeah. like big, slow machine that was also historical yeah. and had lots of fight scenes and stuff on it as well, the last series. Um, so it was, it was lovely and it was a, a very different experience because obviously it was a shorter shooting time, a smaller crew, but faster and, and, a bit fr- and in many ways freer because you can, you can really try and experiment with things and, and do things you can't do with a bigger crew, believe it or not, with a smaller team. But yeah, no, I was excited. And always nice to work with you, mate. You always do good work. So, you know, it's an easy decision for someone like me. Bless you. Uh, let's all pat each other on the back. We're all amazing. Let's get that out of the way. And listen, uh, obviously you get to work with Lucinda as well, which, you know, we've talked Thanks before. So, yeah. and So, you know. I mean, and also using Andy's no-brainer. I'd seen his show reel. Um, oh, thanks, mate. Before, uh, because I knew I was coming on the podcast for episode 81. And um, <laughs> so I reasoned. <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Little drop in there. <laughs> so, um <laughs> You know, Giles wanted to work with Andy. I went, yeah, he's he's awesome. You know, of course. I mean, I don't have too much interaction uh, with a DP when we're making a film. I obviously do the contracts and I I do the offer as producer. But really, that's that's kind of about it. Unless we're discussing a kit or lenses or what do you need? Because I'm there obviously to help Andy as his producer. But then we have some creative discussions. But it is really mainly the relationship between the director and the DP. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. would you say that's the main thing you're looking for when you when you hire a DP for a project is is how they get on with the director how the director feels about them or? well it's so it's it, you know it's so important because obviously the director is driving the ship and he has sure. to trust 100% in his DP as well as his first the three of you are gods on set um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do you like that and off. Uh, and you wish. No, but what I mean is, you know, it's so important because if you three are not working together and gelling, we're really mm-hmm. going to struggle to get this film across the line. Yeah. Yes. You know, sure. that's how yeah. I believe. And I always say to everybody, let them have what they want. <laughs> Just give them whatever. <laughs> Totally, because then they feel happy and you they feel loved and like an arm around them and saying, Les, we trust you to go do this. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. Yeah, I'm not taking anybody else's job away from them, you know, because yeah. I do believe, you know, we are a necklace and if one link breaks, the whole thing falls apart. I really do mm-hmm. believe that. We can't make this without all departments, basically. 100%. But yeah. obviously the three of you on set ha- have to have that glue. Yes, yeah. it's so true. Let's go to our first guest because we can then jump back and talk about more about how we made it throughout all this, uh, this bumper edition of uh, the Filmmakers Podcast for you wonderful people. So why don't we bring in uh, Richard Brake, the actual wonderful star, our very own Merlin. Shall we do that, boys and girls? Yeah. Let's do yeah. that. Let's go. Woo. Yeah. All right. Here it is. Here's our interview with the fantastic Richard Brake. Yeah. Enjoy. Hi, Richard. Hey. How's it going? Richard, it's a delight to have you join us on the Filmmakers Podcast. We're obviously here with Lucinda and Andy. Hello. Hey. So, yeah, we just wanted to chat to you about your whole experience. Can you talk us through when you got the call from me? Yeah, I was um, out in Hackney Downs with my one-year-old. I don't know. I think he was about eight months old then. Uh, Just wandering around thinking, oh, what am I up to next? When uh, I got a text from you saying, are you available in a few weeks? I'm uh... (laughs) (laughs) Big Arthur movie at the moment. That was like fantastic. Sounds great. So it worked out perfectly actually because I think I was doing something a little bit later in the year and um, the timing was just ideal. And of course, because we worked together on the dare, I was incredibly excited to be to be working with you again. I did my yeah. usual. I was like, you don't have to send me the script. If you're directing, I'm in. 
stuff. Yes. Oh, that's a really nice man. As well, when I got sent that, I really did. I thought it was fantastic. Do you know what was wonderful as well is that you had long hair and a beard at the time. You you couldn't have been more Merlin. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. And then you also mentioned to me that you were from Wales, and you know, when you were a kid, Merlin was a big thing, and to play Merlin was like, yeah, it was really cool, actually. Um, You know, I I was originally from Wales. I was born there. Um, I left when I was little, which is why I sound like this. But um, uh, I loved, I was just a huge King Arthur fan, even as a kid. My father was very into that as well. So we got all these old sites and old castles and whatnot. And I'd always run around. Usually I would pretend to be King Arthur, as most kids. But secretly, being Merlin was amazing. Honestly, it was a real dream come true to get to play that part. So, yeah, thank you. I love that you used to dress up as King Arthur and run around. That's amazing. Actually, in Caerphilly Castle, which I think you guys filmed at, right? Yeah. yeah. So my family used to take me to Caerphilly Castle all the time. And we'd run around and I'd be, I'd be, you know, with a stick in hand, pretending it was a sword. <laughs> That's so cool. Because when I first started thinking about this project, I thought of you for Merlin. Just because you've got that wonderful gravitas, you've got that whole aura about you which is wonderful and you do it wonderfully in the dare and obviously this is a very different role yeah i mean obviously because it makes sense for me to talk about the difference between the dare and uh, arthur and merlin but for you in terms of character and what you brought to the merlin what was it that you would uh prep at first off it was exciting not to play somebody that tortured and killed people for a change um (laughs) (laughs) i've done quite a few of those yeah so it was actually real fun to to play somebody who um not only, you know, is he a, a good guy, I guess, but really quite a um, force of, I think, and especially in this film, a real, like a kind of almost mentor and guide and therapist to Richard's character, King Arthur. That to me was, it was A, something that I hadn't done, from, to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever done before. Um, mm. and, and, you know, that was exciting to approach. And just when he appears, it's very... It's very kind of, I'd say it's almost like an actor going to a sprint because every scene is very, very intense. It's not like there's lots of, you know, you don't have lots of Merlin backs, you know, you've know, got to really kind of get a lot in into just these moments that you have with Merlin. So the real challenge was kind of bringing that depth of the character in those moments that he appears uh with, with mostly with Richard, I guess. I mean, I love doing independent films, and um, and a big shout out to you guys. I've I've mentioned uh, your company and a few times when people have been um, interviewing me about this because I think you know it's incredible what you do. Um, you know, getting the money together and and making these movies over here. I think it's so important for the artistic reasons uh, that we're doing these kind of films, and you know, for the whole industry over here. Um, and one of the things I love about doing an independent film is, you know, you never have enough money. You never have enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, you never have, you know, all the things that you need, but you, but what, what is so great is that everybody, you know, on a really good shoot like this one just gives 150%. I mean, absolutely dedicates themselves to it because of the love of making film and the love of the particular project. And you could really feel that coming in on this. Everybody, you know, really gelled and there was a real sense of, you know, all the guys with Richard, the whole um, gang of knights. And I think they lived together, right? I think they were all living. Yeah. Really 
feel this kind of not just as actors, in, uh, you know, as creating their characters together and 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 a sense of their teamwork, but also as actors working together, you know, to make this film um, uh, in the best way possible. And it was it was really inspired. I love it. I mean, to me, it's really why I do it. I mean, I love coming in and being a part of that. And you know, hats off to both of you guys. To Giles as the as a kind of captain of the ship and um as you as the producer behind it that you know you really created an atmosphere and and a place where people were really inspired to do their best i mean whether it was you know a young welsh runner on his first film to, mm-hmm. to you know richard short or actor or myself coming in it was a real feeling everybody pitching in and and, and making a great movie and having fun doing it. Because there's a lot of actors who do listen to shows like this, and especially at this point when we're doing the uh, Arthur and Merlin special, where we are getting quite a lot of actors on, um, what tips and tricks can you give actors for, you know, you've been some, in some amazing movies, you know, Batman Begins and Game of Thrones on TV and some amazing stuff. What advice would you give to actors to say, look, this is how to behave on set? I think one of the m- biggest ones, and I say this to my son, I have a 20-year-old, He's more of a filmmaker, but said to him really early on was you have to be very professional. And I think, I think in a way, and I, you know, I, I, I doubt any of your listeners like this, but um, you know, the, you do meet a lot of younger actors, or not a lot, but I've met some who, you know, because you get stories of so and so famous actor throwing tantrums on sets and this and that and behaving like this, that some people get it in their head that they need to. Or emulate that, and I think that's a bad. In fact, I'm not good at all. I think one of the things that served me incredibly well has been just trying to be really professional, and you know, you know, don't stay out all night, and then so you, you're late to work. You know, your job is to serve the production, serve the director, and to go there with that attitude. And I think if you, you know, and be a decent, yeah, you know, just be a nice person, you know. And, mm. And come well prepared. Have you had any examples of that being on a set where it's not not necessarily uh, run correctly, but where you just go, oh, why couldn't they have just done that? Or what would have um, helped you as an actor? And, and maybe this is advice for me as well. What's good advice for directors from the actor's point of view? Honestly, especially because, you know, I think we're mainly focusing here on indie directors and situations like that is that I guess good communication with your actors, which you're always good at, you know, you, you, whether it's simply saying you know you know we're going to shoot this at the end so that they don't feel like they're just sitting around as um yeah. as you know like props so that you're you know, you're very good at you know being open talking to your actors about you know any issues that may come up so everybody knows what's going on um because i know as a director especially if it's going to be your first film there's so much pressure you got so many people things going on that sometimes you might forget just to communicate with the, with an actor so it's really good to to let them know, you know, if there's any changes or anything going on. So communicating well with your actors. And then, of course, that opens it up, allows you to, like you, you know, because you yourself as an actor, um, uh, know that it's very helpful then to have open communication for when you're talking about the character and being open to anything that the actor might bring. If you're not happy, if you think, it's kind of going in a direction I'm not, then you can be honest about it and say that, but at least allowing the actor to bring his stuff as well to it and being open to what he might i have to offer and i think that's always important um for any director to do whether it's you know a biggie like spielberg or you know and i think a lot of the you know and I, i've worked with a few of the of those big name guys and i think i i would say 
definitely that's always struck me is they're incredibly mm. generous, nice people. You know, all the kind of big names, and the same with actors that I work with, but definitely directors. You know, they're all, they don't have lots of attitude. And even like, because I worked with Brian De Palma many years ago, and he's famous for being, I guess at one time, he's famous for being a little bit of a a, a tricky guy. And I loved him. He was an incredibly nice man. I remember giving me this huge hug at the end. And I was only working a few days. And a real sense of making me feel how important, you know, making me feel important to the whole project, even though, you know, in a couple of scenes at most. Um, and I think that and that's a you know a good thing for directors to to learn is that mm-hmm. you know you can also you don't have to be screaming around and, you know and as stressful as it can get to is to kind of really work on that. And do you know what? it was a, it was such a joy to have you play Merlin the moment where you walked on set in the full uh, regalia the full purple and oh, the little feathers that Robin had added it just was a delight to see you walk out with the ah and it was it was so wonderful for me and Andy just lit you so well and you, we were just like yeah this is gonna work um yeah. I, I was so happy so yeah thank I mean, you it for- was great like all of the costume I mean everybody involved and, and you know Andrew did just I mean well I knew it from seeing the dare I mean you know oh, thanks man like that. um the guy can do magic with you know with a light bulb and, and a candle you know, <laughs> and that's pretty much the dare and it's Knights more, of Camelot. <laughs> well, honestly, thank you so much for for not only being a brilliant Merlin for joining us on that, um, but for uh, doing this with thanks. us as well. Uh, thank you, appreciate yeah, it. No, thank you. Let me be a part of that and this. This is fun. Pleasure. We'll Good. see. We'll we'll see you on the next indie film. We'll see you on that Definitely. one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Definitely. Love it. Keep up the good work, everyone. All three of you guys are just honestly very inspiring. It was Thanks, really man. working with you both again and with you listened the first time. It was really brilliant. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's so a pleasure. You're a star, Richard. Thanks, buddy. We'll speak to you soon. Take care, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, so that was the amazing Richard Brake. How great was he to have on and He's chat so to charming. Oh, yeah. yeah. <sighs> And so wonderful to work with him. Obviously, we worked with him on the dare. Oh shit! Sorry, oh. And, uh, and and Arthur and Merlin as well. Because it's just you heard the story now, there. Guys. It's, unfair. It, it's unfair. It's not even out here in this in the UK, so you can't even watch it yet until October. Um, <laughs> 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 apologies. <laughs> but listen, um, yeah, it was just a joy to work with someone like that. And obviously, I, I wanted to work with him again, as you heard, because of how wonderful he was working with him in the first time. And he's just a great character, and actually brought the set up as well. We didn't talk about that how when he was on set everyone was like you know really excited to have someone like him there and just doing his thing and being Merlin and seeing him on top of the ridge in the purple gown and feathers on it and seeing the wind blow through his blonde locks for me was just joyous you know stick a camera on him could have shot on the iPhone at that point and he would have looked (laughs) amazing um and that was just great. So look, next coming up, we're going to be talking to Jess and Stu, our first AD in production um, manager. And she did many jobs as well. Uh, but let's talk for you guys about what it's like in pre-production. For, for, for me and you, Andy, I know we go into, into a lot of detail and we send a lot of photos backwards and forwards. Do, What's your process in, in pre-production? What do you do as the cinematographer? So, um, Especially much- on Arthur and Merlin. On Arthur and Merlin, as opposed to any of our yes, other please. films. Please. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, generally. <laughs> the first thing that will happen when it normally is, uh, if it's through an agent or if it's through a director I know, is I'll, I'll get a script and I'll get to read a script. And I'll, and the first time I read it, I'll read it um, 
for the story and, and you know, just to, for, for the themes and, you know, get, get a sense of that. And then I'll start to have a conversation with, um, in this case, Giles, um, and we'll, you know, what's his thoughts on it? How, how does he want it to go? And then from then it's kind of, it's, it's looking at their visual references and then maybe I'll find some of mine and then we'll kind of just mash it all together over the coming weeks, really. That's, mm. from my point of view, that's, that's it, you know. That's how I remember getting the sort of the pitch package ready and getting some of those images. And it's so fascinating now looking at the movie and how close we got to some of those. And these are from amazing movies. So Andy did an incredible job to pat each other on the back again. But no, I, I'm honestly yeah, so, yeah, yeah uh, and an amazing uh, camera team you yeah. had with you as well. Let's give them a shout out, Andy, because just, just incredible. Yeah, Nathan O'Kelly, First AD, and Oscar Garth, like just fucking incredible, like, carrying yeah. dragon shit up hills in the rain just never grumbled always on it fantastic yeah i can't recommend them yeah. highly enough and that's yeah. amazing when you have a team like that and they all really believe in you it's just essential yeah what's your main focus in pre-production or when you're on a recce what is it you're looking for as a dp so i'm there from an artistic point of view but also a technical point of view so i'm thinking about if there's lighting and if there's a, a big crew you know how we're going to get in and get out where are the lights going to go um where the sun is at certain times of day um and a little bit of art direction as well, you know, uh, how, are these, how is this going to look with a colour palette? How is this going to look on camera? What kind of lenses are we going to need? Uh, you know, is there room for the camera? All these kind of decisions. Knowing what the visual references are, am I going to be able to make these locations look like those references? And what, what things yeah. in them do I like? All that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's, a, there's a lot. <laughs> A there's a lot goes on there really is and we discuss whether we should use natural light did, usually yeah. because we're in a forest you know bringing lights in there is just really difficult generators going to make noise all that sort of stuff so we had a really frank discussion about let's do this natural light and i'm so glad we did it's Me really too. given the film a look it mean it meant also on set we could just move around very quickly with the Absolutely. camera yeah we didn't have to mess around and actually at that point working on the script um myself and johnny grant did you know johnny grant came in and, and polished the script up and i was very hands-on in that and making sure that anything that was at night i'd take out pretty much unless we'd go around a campfire that we could use mm. as soon as i knew i had the job and i wanted andy to do it i was on the phone constantly talking about how we could shoot the movie um yeah. i'm talking about locations then lucinda for you because i went up to wales because that's where you, you thought would be a good place to shoot mm-hmm. and you found some locations for me along with our brilliant location manager what is it how did you know i'd like those places because i did how did you know the three bears <laughs> cave would just be amazing because we needed caves we needed you know landscapes we needed gorgeous terrain that we could you know afford and get the rights for if you like to shoot on well, I'd already shot a uh, film movie. Um, I do, I do go between film and movie. So um, if I, if I, it's American, UK, whatever. <laughs> so I'd good. already shot a uh, historical action movie film in Wales uh, in 2017 called Robin Hood: The Rebellion. Um, so I knew a lot of the locations. I spent a lot of time in Wales in general over the years, and I really, really think it's a beautiful, beautiful area. Um, and it's got, it's just got so much untouched scenery. You're not going to find that stuff in London. You know, there's cars everywhere. It's hugely expensive to shoot in London. Mm -hmm. The difference with Cadu, for instance, and English heritage. So Cadu, people know, are the Welsh board. Just uh, They look after all the historical um, buildings in Wales. There you go. So they are a little bit more uh, relaxed in their 
buildings. So obviously we have to have fire cover because we're using a lot of flame. We have to be very protective of all the walls and very respectful of these these wonderful historical places. But Cadu are very uh, welcoming to film crews utilizing and and just as long as as long as we're sensible and we're we're looking after the place there's a lot of health and safety involved and Sammy Meeson my associate producer on the project was very good at organizing this for us and he works very closely with me during the pre-production stage and all the recce's and it's fantastic um that mm. area um, and I knew that Giles would like it. And we had Margan Park, which has been featured in Sex Education, the TV show as well. It's absolutely stunning. Um, they're just beautiful areas. So, yeah, you find your locations and you get on with it and you sort of prep as much as you can. Uh, and what else do you do, at Lucinda, then in prep for you? What's your journey as sorting out a film from be- just before we're about to shoot? What's the last things you do? So I have to make sure we have a, a team assembled. You know, all departments, uh, makeup, costume, production design, our production assistants, catering, locations, all the contracts need to be in place. We need to work out who's traveling from where. For instance, Richard Short, we had to book all his flights from L.A., make sure his hotels are right, he has his taxes and whatever. I have to make sure all the accommodation is set up for certain cast and crew that lived with us there in Wales. Anything mm-hmm. you can think of and more. Um literally um the list goes on the list right? is it endless. doesn't stop it literally is. producing is really difficult getting agents to sign the contracts on behalf of their mm, artists all the contracts you've got to do is oh my really gosh. really heavy going actually and and the the back and forth and negotiation it's technically difficult you've got to do contracts but you're also juggling budgets as well because yeah we are someone like me and andy will go okay well we might need a light for this in this case we didn't or you know we we might want to track or you've got your costume department saying i need another costume because we've got six extras rather than five on this day or you've got your art department asking for another bit of prop the scenery that's going to cost so you've constantly juggling the budget as well right that must be a nightmare you are juggling yeah we d- i mean g and i sit down and do the numbers like three times a day because it, it it can change you know every hour sometimes especially when you're shooting yeah. because all of a sudden you know, we need a new costume because that's been yeah. ripped or that's got dirty and Robin's assistance hasn't got time to do that. So we need to bring in something else. So that cost mm-hmm. has to be taken from somewhere else. Obviously, yeah. we have contingency up to a certain point. I was going to say you have to contingency somewhere to help you. Yeah, but, it, but. it's still a constant um, battle. And that's for every level of film, whether it be an indie film or a Hollywood picture you know, these problems come up at every level. You do well to just even make an indie film is an incredible, uh, it really is, I, when you go through when it. When you get to insane. principal photography, the night before principal photography, let me ask you to, if you do the same, I am awake the entire night. Oh, yeah. Of course you are. Is yeah, everybody going to so get to set? And when people arrive at accommodation in a couple of days before, um, I literally, I'm on the phone has Giles arrived? Has Andrew arrived? Have the, and once, yeah, you, you know, once all the children have arrived, <laughs> <laughs> I then go, let's have a gin and tonic by the swimming pool. Yeah, that's which I don't really have. nice. Me and Andy lived together when we made Arthur and Melon. Mm. So we obviously could sit and chat about how we're going to do tomorrow. So we knew what we were doing. And I think it's so important to be on top of it and ready and prepared and then prepared to throw that away. But yeah, Jess was yeah, marvellous through uh, pre-production. I mean, I know you worked with Stu Laurie more because you were scheduling the whole time and rescheduling. Mm. And that the same as the budget, you know, that can change every hour. Um, it can't it but Jess and was marvelous it can. as well 
And that's a perfect note to bring in our wonderful production manager, Jess Gardner, and our first AD, Stu Laurie. Enjoy Filmmakers Podcast. This is our chat with Stu and Jess. Okay. Yeah, all done? All yeah. rolling? Speed. Oh, stand uh, okay. One more. Stand <laughs> yeah, waiting for camera. <laughs> waiting for camera. Stu, if you wait, could no, call no. it when, uh, <laughs> when Adam's okay, ready. Speed. Uh, call it, please, Stu. <laughs> and action. Hello, Stu. Hello, Jess. Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. I missed. I've missed my uh, my team member, Jess. <laughs> she was my rock. but not Stu. <laughs> wow, unbelievable. Well, if I'm See honest, obviously Stu, Stu, Stu and I kind of had to. Uh, we have a wonderful relationship, but obviously a first uh, and a producer. You know, we have to kind of um, have disagreements sometimes about. You know, Stu, I really need to you know get this get this down and we need to start moving faster 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 and Stu actually has to go in between myself and Jess and, and, and Giles so you're kind of in between aren't you Doug? pretty much yeah <laughs> pretty much all that years working in mental health really helped <laughs> it did, it <laughs> did. Uh, and in the call center it does sound like you're in a call center and you do have right. a headset in the call center thing on oh, I like it I hear you've been in a car accident within the last three years and you can make a claim. <laughs> it's amazing. Brilliant. So look, obviously you two are fantastic. I loved having you both on set of Arthur and Merlin and I wanted to talk about that whole process, but also about, um, Andy, you still there? I'm still here. Just the pictures. Don't worry. Don't worry. That's cool. As long as it's still recording. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk about the process of actually making a film from a first AD point of view and a production manager point of view, how it works. So what's the first thing you do, Stu, when you get a script? What's the first thing you do on set? All those type of things. So let's let's jump in there. Okay. So first thing I do with a script is uh, I do my script break. Well, I read it first. Um, <laughs> get a kind of an idea of, of what the script's about and what kind of shoot it's going to be. And then I start my breakdown. So I'll break every scene down into its elements, um, cast, location, night or day, everything that's involved within each scene. Uh, and then you can start working on how long each scene's going to take. Um, a lot of it is kind of guesswork because that's how it works. Um, you just mm-hmm. don't know what's going to happen on the day. But the more you kind of do it, the more you think, okay, that's going to take a bit longer. That's going to take a bit less. Action scenes are obviously going to take longer, stuff like that. So you end up getting a, an idea of what the schedule is going to look like by going through the script and doing your breakdown. Um, and then it's having discussions mainly about um, shot lists and things like that and the director's vision because that will affect your scheduling as well. Um, and the main thing for me in pre is scheduling. You know, it's making mm-hmm. sure that everyone has the time that they need. Each department, makeup, costume, arts, everyone has the time they need to set up what they need to set up and get done what they need to get done. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, what about for you, Jess? Because you obviously work with Stu really closely as your first AD and your whole production team. What's your process then of when you come on board at a feature film? Um, yeah, so from a production manager perspective, you you kind of do the same as a first. So you have to read it first and it's really hard to not start making notes right away of what you're going to need. But it's always really good to just read it as a script that you can absorb it and actually understand the complexities of a story rather than start immediately making notes and then do a second read and make your notes based on that and any queries and foreseeable problems. Um, And again, with like with a first AD job, it's going to be a lot of guesswork until you really get down to the nitty-gritty of 
um, how long can we have the location? How long can we have certain casts for? Um, <laughs> what's the shot list? Um, so a lot of it will be doing an outline schedule for yourself and then working with the first AD to see if like they even remotely match and discussing, okay, I know you will need longer, but I, I also have to think about budget constraints or how many people we can get on that day or you know, we can only have that actor for this date. Can we make mm. that work? Um, so a lot of it is working with every single department and telling them no a lot of the time. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> telling them, no, you can't have that. Or how can we make it work with what we have? Because, mm. you know, there is just an endless amount of time and money. So a lot of it is just a lot of give and take and, what what can we do to make that fee, be feasible and to make the shots work? And, you know, where can we maybe drop a shot and maybe pick something else up somewhere else? How can we work around this location? Um, so a lot of it is negotiating within the teams as well as external negotiations, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's full on. Um, it's a really difficult, complicated process that when you set out to make a film, you don't understand. You don't. Um, you know, you can go out with your mates and shoot a film on your iPhone. Of course you can, and but you've still got to schedule it. You've still got to plan your shots. Otherwise, you're kind of doing it on the hoof. And what was amazing is there's so much work that you two did behind the scenes with Lucinda and, and the rest of the team that myself and Andy didn't see. Mm. You know, we knew you were doing it, but we were just like, well, what's happening this day you know what's gone wrong why is this a problem or why are we moving things and you just be like well it's because of this 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 and you go okay cool and that must have been really difficult let's talk about the difficulties of scheduling stew of um first day doing a production like this when it is you know we were all hands on deck and everyone's doing everything and where does the food go what time's lunch going all that kind of stuff when we're going well i just want one more shot so food food's getting cold etc etc how do you manage scheduling what's the best way to advise for a first ad i think for me a lot of a lot of what makes an ad a decent ad is having strong people skills and being able to create that communication with all departments so because you know things are going to go wrong because they always do there's always things you have to think of on the fly there's always times especially for me jess and lucinda you have to go no you're not doing that and you you have to be able to not rile your crew um because if for me especially my role is all about the mood on set if everyone is positive regardless of what goes wrong you can get through it and if you can keep that attitude going as much as is humanly possible, you can go and cry in the toilet. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I have done many times. Um, but you know, you can't. Yeah, right. I did it before this. Um, <laughs> but as long as you come onto set and you maintain a friendly, approachable and positive attitude, you can generally get through most things. So it's about being clever with the way you, you know, it's kind of, you have to say no, but you don't just come out with a no. You come out with, we'd love to do that. This is the but problem, this, yeah. but this, here's now what we've got to do. It, yeah. It's going at it with, you can't do it, but let's do this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about being able to think on your feet and provide alternatives rather than just going, no. Hats off 
to, to anyone doing those type of roles. I first AD'd before and it's a really difficult job to manage people to try and stay upbeat when you know there's a storm coming and that storm is literally right. worse than the hurricane we had on set. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't mentioned that yet. Um, Can we not talk it... about that day? I mean... <laughs> it was a really tough day. That was a really tough day for uh, Jess, Stu and myself. We right. had to yeah. make a decision and the three of us obviously uh, had to call that and Basically, so everyone knows. Continue. Well, of course, we've we've got a, a seventeen day shoot, and it's really tight as it is. And suddenly, we know there's a hurricane coming, mm. but we're going. Well, if we don't shoot it, I'm now not going to get those shots. So, what do we do? And I know you guys had to have that discussion to say, look, we can't shoot after this certain amount of time. How are we going to find fit it into the schedule? So then, you, Stu, Jess, and Lucinda, to a certain extent, have to try and work that out. But me at the same time and Andy again, well, we're creative. I'm just going to go shoot in that hurricane. And you're worried about all the other things that can go wrong there, like costumes, like camera, someone getting injured, all these type of things, which really, really could happen. And that must be really difficult to juggle. Jess, how is that to juggle? (laughs) Oh, my God. Do you know, it's I heard exactly... that a lot throughout the shoot. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? A lot of it is, like, I, I always call myself a mum when I'm on set. And I think it's, like, a really good way of, like, placing placing that role. Imagine being a mum and always having to do the tough job. I, I, I feel like, like, the dad role. I'm not entirely sure what the dad role will be on set, where you're like, go ask your dad. There's <laughs> always go ask your mum, because yeah. you know that I'm the tough one that has to make the hard decisions. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it sounds... It, 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 that's a great analogy. It sounds so tough. Why do you do it? It's, it's <laughs> a really, really, really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I actually texted Lucinda this the other day, and I was like, you... why do we do this job? And it was like mm. a crying emoji. Um, no, it was a laugh cry, but it was almost like it's a shit, shit laugh cry one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to love it beyond anything else to want to do any, I think, any of the jobs in film, because it's so grueling you know like mm. you know even for you and Andy just going out and standing with that camera in the pissing rain <laughs> and wind yep. and just looking like well we could get this shot you know you absolutely have to love whatever job you're doing on that set um to make it work um I think the reason I do it I, I get a, I definitely get a buzz out of it it's kind of addictive I know that yeah. Stu and I went through a lot of hell together drank a lot of wine together but as soon as that shoot was over we really missed it and I think you miss the camaraderie as well it's a it's a really big thing you know um as I said you're a part of a family for two months three months sometimes and you know it's (laughs) you you want you want to be able to make something together and I think being able to overcome all those hurdles as well that I think sometimes the harder it is like the bigger the sense of achievement like we managed Mm. to do that somehow (laughs) 
Do you know what? That's so lovely to hear. And it was gorgeously put. And it's so true. You forget as people describe it, like having a baby, I wouldn't know um, myself, <laughs> but they do. They say you, we haven't, you're like, why would I do that again? And then you forget because you've got this wonderful bundle of joy in front of you. Uh, it might be a puking, shitting mess, but at the same time it is there and it's alive. And your film is that <laughs> a puking, shitting mess. No, it, it's, wow. this, it's this wonderful <laughs> thing that you've created. And you forget sometimes all the bad things and all the heartache, heartache and the pain because you remember the good times mm. and the amazing people and the friendships that you have for life. I know I'll bump into one of those crew when I'm 80 and you'll give them a massive hug. It doesn't matter what you went through, the arguments you had, the issues you had. You know that that is special and you've created something so marvelous and incredible. So what, that was beautifully put, Jess. I love it. So Stu, let's talk about, uh, you know, on set because you were on set with me and Andy all the time as well as you yeah. had to go off and do other stuff and it was really difficult. I know that. Um, but what was great is how well you marshaled everything and marshaled mm. the troops and got everything in shape so that even if I was going off the rails or going off track, just because creatively, you'd go, okay, but let's stay on track here. Let's get what we need to get, which was brilliant. Um, how did you manage everything with horses and all those nights? You know, there's a lot of actors, there's a lot of extras, there's a lot of scenes to do and a lot mm. of shots to get. Again, it's advice for uh, directors and first ADs out there of how to go about that? I think, I mean, obviously organisation is a massive part of it and you need to use your pre-production carefully to make sure that you know the ins and outs of every single scene. You need to know what you need for what scene. You need to know your schedule to know who needs to be where, when, who needs what, where, when. And you also need to be able to trust your crew, especially me as an AD. I need to know that my runners are on it, that my second and third and whomever I have on set are completely on it. So I'm not having to baby people. And, mm. you know, I had Jess Blesser, who also acted as my second and my production manager, which was a weird dynamic to have. Arguing <laughs> with yourself, Jess. <laughs> um, understand exactly what is needed every day, every scene so that you can get stuff ready in advance and so that your team know to have these things on standby. You talked about advance there, and that's so true yeah. because we, me and you will be on set talking about the next day or even the next week and yeah. having to know that schedule. So you as the first have to know it inside out. On day Absolutely. 70, if I go, what we shoot, when's this act in next? You go, um, um, it is, and your brain would whir, and you go, they are in on Tuesday yeah. next week, and these are the scenes they're doing. So the costume has to be this. Yeah. Uh, whatever else it is, the directory requirements have to be this. And that is that's so much for a first study to have in their head. It's a lot. And it is, especially as it changes, you know, a schedule is fluid, completely fluid, especially if you're working on a production where, like ours, for example, where weather was an issue. So stuff had to change. And as you said earlier, we had to cancel a day. So then you have to reschedule everything. But because you don't have kind of days off, you're rescheduling as you're going. So you have to be able to multitask. And, you know, there were times where I'd be walking around on set with my laptop in one hand, changing a schedule whilst calling like action and running the set at the same time. So you have to be able to think on the fly very quickly, manage the people that are around you whilst typing on your laptop, whilst thinking about health and safety, whilst planning the next day. And so it's it's a hell of a lot to do. But if you use your time, like I say, in pre-effectively and you know exactly what is needed, it takes a lot of pressure off. What about your side, Jess, then? Because you were mainly based, your production base. So you're always at the base. So we were on set, Stu was messaging you. And you've got to control everything that's happening there from the makeup to the costume to the food arrival to the, the set might be getting set up for the next day in the castle or whatever it is. From your side of view, what 
advice can you give uh, production managers and filmmakers, producers and directors to understand your job? Um, I think it's always really good to know that it's, again, as you said, that the first AD and the production manager role are very intertwined. So it's also knowing that that person has a heck of a lot going on. And sometimes <laughs> people ask you the most, ask you to do very trivial things. And I'm like, you could absolutely do that 100% yourself. Like, you, don't, you really don't need me to do that right now because I'm. Could you currently... help me cry in the toilet? Yeah. Please? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's fine. I'm pretty sure I did ask you that at one point. But I think that also comes with having a good team. You know, you I had the most amazing production coordinator, Thea, and Mm, she was fantastic. And again, it's the same for Stu, like being able to rely on everybody to do their jobs and get on with it and not have to worry about the small things. And I do think that that is key for anyone making a film is your crew. You have to, if you've not worked with them before, you've had to have a lot of discussions with them and like calls because sometimes you can bring on people that just don't, either don't gel or just need a lot of extra help. And sometimes on certain films, you don't always have that room for that. Obviously trainees are really key to any film, trainees and work experience, don't get me wrong. Um, but if you have someone in a HOD role or, you know, a first assistant role, they need to have enough experience to know that they know their job. And I think yep. for giving it, you know, to tell anybody else, you know, making a film, that, that that is really, really important. Otherwise, production managers are going to end up having to almost babysit a lot of other stuff. And that that's what uses up their time is, you know, you've got to deal with people offset like a first AD deals with people on set so all of those problems as well as making sure everything else is still running smoothly so mm. you know someone's having a tantrum someone's having a quarrel cast isn't happy about something you know you're, you're faced with all of these things every day food isn't here food is wrong whatever it might be um, so you have to have enough time to be able to fight all those fires as well as ensure that what is happening on set is still good that's happening on set. What's your whole experience of making Arthur and Merlin? Uh, the whole feeling now of it, you know, did you have a good time? Uh, I, I'm basically wanting you to say yes and the film's amazing. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I had such a good time and I, I think yeah, I've made so, well, Stu's my wife. Thea is my other wife. I mean, I've got so many, I've got such an, ex- <laughs> I've got such an extended family now. It's fantastic. Um, and everyone's, you know, it was such a great experience. It was really tough, but um, yeah, it was amazing. I think, I think it was amazing what we did. I agree. Yeah. yeah amazing. Stu, yeah. final words. Uh, same as what Jess said, to be honest, like for me, it was a very hard shoot. It was tense. It was stressful, but, It was also one of the most supportive crews I've ever worked with. Utterly, completely, everyone was always understanding. Even when I had to go, no, we're not doing that. Everyone understood and there was very little resistance because people understood why you were doing it. And I know Jess had to do the same thing a lot of the time. And yeah, having that support and understanding from your crew is so important when you're doing Mm -hmm. a job that can often be thankless and you're pissing people off all the time so to have that that support is really important 
I think why it worked was because we all cared about the project. We wanted to do the best for the film. So no one was trying to stand in the way of that. We just, there was problems. So you have to overcome them rather than Mm. we were always all trying to tell the best story we could. I think we're going to be proud of this movie. I really hope everyone is because, you know, I remember in my first speech, I, I said, I really hope everyone's proud of this movie at the end and what they put into it. And I really hope everyone is. Um, uh, anyway, it's Stu Laurie, Jess Gardner. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, on guys. Thanks for, Thanks for having us. I mean, wow. That was amazing to hear that insight from Production Manager and First AD that we don't normally talk about in the podcast. So that's wonderful. So thank you, Stu and Jess, for being amazing. Uh, and you guys hearing that is so cool. Right, let's talk about casting because we're, we're about to bring in uh, Tim Felling and play Lancelot and Richard Short plays Arthur. Because people don't watch camera movements people don't watch lovely lighting people watch actors so if the actor's not delivering people are going you get that so you have to be very careful in casting that people can deliver and over a long period of time so it does help if they've done movies before because they understand the beginning middle and end even if they've done theater before they get a character's arc it's really important i think you've you've got to really think about your casting don't make rash decisions a few of the other actors um we had on the team, which was obviously Daniel Schutzman, I, I was aware of, and Ian Sharp and Steve Apple. But Richard and, and Tim, I was like, oh, I don't, yeah, I've never seen these guys before. And I watched their showreel and I watched some of their past work. And I met Tim at the casting session we had at Raindance. Thank you, Raindance, for letting us have the studios. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Raindance. Yeah. Um, and do you know what? They were absolutely perfect for the roles. They really brought them alive. And that's what's important, isn't it? At the end of the day, they, they're right for the roles and they deliver. And I, what I really liked about both those, because they're the leaders of the ship, and especially Richard Shaw, is from the off. And like I said this earlier about making sure you do some scene from the off that it almost shows people off. They really want to do the scene. But Richard Short delivered on that first day. The first time he came in, he really delivered. And it was really wonderful for everyone else to see that, oh, okay, that's the standard. I have to do that. And he shot his take. final scene on the first day. He did. His final, the final scene in the movie. Shot. Yeah. Performance. So that was tough for him to do that, to deliver that. And wow, because it's a tough scene to do. And wow, incredible. So um, why don't we bring him in? Um, because we could talk about casting all day and maybe we do it on another podcast. So this is Tim Fellingham, uh, who plays Lancelot, and Richard Short, who plays Arthur. Enjoy. It's amazing that we have Richard Short, who is King Arthur, and Tim Fellingham, who plays Sir Lancelot on this episode. It's so cool. And Richard has an amazing beard. Um, Richard, tell us why you have this amazing beard right now. Because I'm on hiatus and on pause like the rest of the world for a... uh... (laughs) For a, mm-hmm. for a movie that we have 10 days left to shoot on. Myself, I only have two days left to shoot on, because of which the uh, the King Arthur beard became the uh, Joel Cohen Macbeth beard, which then became mm-hmm. the coronavirus lockdown beard and is now just full Gandalf. So uh, you, you do look like yeah. you're in a, um, a Hicksville band. Yeah. You know, one of those really cool old school, yeah. proper Bluegrass, beard. yeah. And on yeah, the banjo. You're that. Yeah, I mean, you're I am that. locked in in America. But obviously we're coming to the sort of whole corona stopping filming. Uh, and you might be filming again, because like say, you're on Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington. And you've got 10 days left to shoot. Uh, is the talk of you going back on set? There finally to is. Shoot. We heard this week. Yes, we had a cast Zoom Amazing. and a director Zoom. And uh, we're going back so by august should be all done and apparently it's uh, tremendous thus far 
Of course it is. Is it as tremendous, though, as Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot? Not even close. I mean, there's tremendous, and there's a signature Giles Alderson, DP'd by Andrew Roger, kind of <laughs> excellent. That's next level. <laughs> I love it. And Tim, you are now shorn of beard and shorn of long hair, because obviously we've been seeing your face constantly with that. And now you look all handsome and very... Nubile. Well, you know, I've, <laughs> been, locked, I've been locked in with a wife and two kids, so I need to... And what they shave you? <laughs> they do. They do. Yes. Well, you've got, you've got to keep everyone uh, entertained these days, don't you? Yeah, you do. Well, let's talk about entertaining. Let's talk about Arthur and Merlin because, you know, you, you're my two leads, if you like, and, and everyone knows the name King Arthur. Everyone knows the name Lancelot. How did it feel, um, I suppose, to get the role in terms of your mindset of, of doing a, a film like this? Okay. Um, obviously, King Arthur, the, the, the name is kind of, it's large, right? It's writ large. So it's, it's somewhat of an undertaking. Um, I started by reading a book on leadership. Um, it was actually based on British oh. prime ministers. Um, not sure if I would read it if it was based on the current administration, but that's a long, another story, another day. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was based on leadership, and and uh, just to just to be, I'm coming back to England, being based in America, and I wanted to be trusted mm. by this set of British men. And when I speak, yeah. I kind of wanted them to trust what I'm saying. Um, despite our specific take on Arthur. Um, so I started there, and then, of course, you exercise, and you, you learn the lines, and you do all that sort of nonsense. You jump in your swimming pool with a dumbbell to pretend like you're sword fighting. I love fighting. the fact that I um, jump in my swimming pool, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Else that, right? one. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I used to do that in South Shields when I lived there, too. Yeah, yeah, I used to jump, jump in the North Sea with a dumbbell. That would be proper, Arthur, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think you were the dumbbell, man. <laughs> Well, and then I started riding horses at a ranch, you know, to prep. Yeah, and, um, you did. Still didn't help, but uh, yeah, <laughs> because nothing can prep you for Susie. Your horse. Yes, my yeah. horse. Yeah, that's where I started. But then, of course, when I arrived in Wales, one of the things that you do so well, Charles, as a director, is, is the chemistry, is the putting people together. And mm. yeah, Tim and I shared a lovely little cottage out in the in the country in wales very and romantic. so so i was gorgeous very romantic dinners every night um and we had guinevere next door so there was this very interesting dynamic which of course helped the yeah. film a love triangle basically yeah a love triangle but you also had modred as well who was in a little caravan <laughs> literally behind your big house modred was kept bless him he was yeah in the stables <laughs> just just no, but it really it really helped to um to get to know, I'd met him before, only briefly, but but to get to know each other properly and 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 have a, some mm. sort of you know extra relationship there, uh, a sort of almost on another level to the other guys that I had with the rest of them. Yeah, um, and that was great. Yeah, helped me enormously. Yeah. And what about you, Tim? What did you feel living together in that whole experience? It was great. Yeah, it was. It was. We were very isolated out there, so I think it helped with our relationship, particularly you know the three of us. Which probably I don't know I'd say helped the film because that's they're three characters that are isolated from the the rest of the characters of the film anyway. So yeah, it was it was uh, it was great. And what about playing Lancelot then? Because like I say, there's there's quite a lot of weight on both your shoulders to play characters like that. What did you what did you bring to it? What did you think you you know from the script? What did you want to bring to this? It's basically to help any actors out there and filmmakers working with actors like yourselves of what you took from it. 
Yeah, I, th- I think Lancelot's one of those iconic figures that's very mysterious. It, it was interesting just to find it myself and, and work out maybe who he was and that relationship between the king and Guinevere, you know, so it, it's, it's a tricky one. So do you think it's important for actors to be in shape going into a role generally rather than obviously with Arthur and Merlin and an action historical like this? You should. But for generally, do you think actors should be in strong shape going into a role i mean it depends what the role is of course i think you can get too hung up on the external i think many people do nowadays actually but something like this 100 percent, you don't really have a choice you're going to need your stamina whether or not you take your shirt off on camera or anything like that or want to look good for vanity but mm. but no you have to be fit you have to be fit to wake up at 5 a.m every day and go running in sodden sodden uh, clothes um, up mountains and, mm. and and fight men all day in the mud um, and then you have to go to work. <laughs> See what I did. So, because you've you've both worked on some big, you know, TV and films, and I suppose over the time, you know, working with many directors and production companies and DPs, what what have you brought to set each time? You know, it's like ah, oh, okay, maybe I won't do that again. Ah, oh, I learnt from this mistakes that you might have made or things that you were great that you said I'm doing that again. Every, every job is different and you and you always you're always learning and i find that i i I learn something every uh every job i take on which i use for the next job you know so i mean watching richard he was extremely prepared in uh i mean you, you always try to be prepared but he he was uh extremely prepared coming into the film which allowed him to enjoy the role more of, of offset of just enjoying, you know, being Arthur, being there, being present rather than having to struggle to prepare in the moment, which I think a lot of actors do. So that was, that was, uh, that was great to watch. I've learned that the most important thing is, is the support you can give to absolutely everyone because you're going to rely on it too. It's, it's, you look at a film set, it's the most socialist place you'll find, right? Mm-hmm. Every single person on the set has their job. And without one of them doing the job, the whole thing falls down like a, like a stack of cards. So giving, leaning on and giving support and taking it when, when it's necessary. I mean, for example, I'll give you a, a, an Arthur and Merlin example. You know, I had to go up to the waterfall to uh you did to, have to get, to to get very cold the coldest water in britain let's just let everyone out there <laughs> know that <laughs> makes yeah. me look a little you're brave enough you and emily yeah. Hague. that's yeah. right well, all right me well and emily Hague. fair enough <laughs> 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 and you in half a wetsuit but uh yeah but basically um, yeah. i was we had this day coming and it was extremely cold there's no getting away from it but having the support of tim and stella guinevere that they said, well, what we'll do is we'll we'll come along with you in the morning, and we'll all jump in the in the sea, in the Irish Sea. We'll we'll go. Which anyone that knows that time of year, jumping in the sea is is well, it's ridiculous. You've got to be absolutely great insane. Idea. So we, great idea, yeah. We all did. It, I think it helped with a light hangover that morning as well. If I'm totally honest, but um, <laughs> but to but to jump in the three of us, Arthur, Lancelot, and Guinevere. That's that support absolutely lends itself to the work. It helps because then when I go in, I've already been in something far colder. We all stripped down to our mm. undies and ran in in the yeah. in the bracing cold sea together. And then, of course, on the day of shooting it, because it then got pushed because um, of the weather. Uh, yeah. Tim and day. Stella yeah. both they weren't needed on at that location, but they both came up and joined us. And that location was a 
it was a particular drag 25 minute hike. right a hike from yeah. base camp and they joined us um again just just for support just to be there with a colleague with a friend and you lean on that tremendously so then what choice do i have when i'm freezing and i'm thinking well this is my cutoff this is my cutoff one more but then you're thinking, well, no, because these guys are here. They're getting soaked anyway. They don't have to be here. And my mm-hmm. costume as Arthur is drenched. I've still got a 25-minute jog back to the base camp. To get back. And Stella yeah. actually carried my, my personal belongings. She carried the whole bag back for me and just met me back at the, the base. So that, you really do rely on those around you. Yeah, Andy was chucking it down with rain as oh, well. So they could have at any point, Tim and Stella, gone, nah, do you know what? I'm going to stay in the pub oh, here. Because really that was our base yeah. camp. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, bar, yeah. So. And, well, and Giles rewarded us all. Yeah, you're just there for the comic book. But Giles rewarded yeah. us all with a vegan pie that night, too. <laughs> I did. So they were probably, probably the only place in pie. Wales that happens to have a vegan pie right. in this amazing place. So I, I rewarded you all. I did. I bought you all a vegan pie, which was probably really tasty, right? It was, it was tremendous. I'll tell you what else you did on this one, which was a great tip for, <laughs> I guess, directors, really, um, mm. is, is having a table read. Because... Yeah. You know, whether or not you perform uh, to the max or not, it doesn't really matter, or whatever the, the director, a lot of people just whisper their performance. But in your head, you're a bag of anxieties and nerves, right? You're thinking, what do these people look like? What do they sound like? You know they're thinking absolutely the same as you. So just to get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, look everyone in the eye, sit around a table, and get that done before you get to set – then on day one on location, you're just ready to go to work. You've done the shaking hands, the kisses and cuddles mm-hmm. and said hello. And um, yes. so, yeah, that helped enormously too, having that table read in London before we went out. I love doing that. I think it's so important if all directors can do that is to do that. Even if it's on Zoom or Skype, at least you can wave at each other and see each other's faces and see how each other reads. Because you, as an actor, you've prepared so much in your bedroom or wherever you're doing it. And then you suddenly get on set and someone else is saying the lines, not your girlfriend or your cat or your wall. You know what I mean? Or yourself that you've recorded. Someone else is saying them and it's very different. So the more you can practice that, the better. Yeah. Obviously, this is, um, the scale of this film was a little different. The, the, the approach was a little different in that we're you know as you say we're all out in the wilderness we're in a waterfall it's quite a small crew necessarily for the way we're shooting moving quite quickly um mm-hmm. how is that different from working on a, on a big production with a you know a load of people around you big team loads of angles all day to shoot stuff how does that how is that different from a performance point of view uh I, i'll say if you don't mind um i think shooting the way we did with you guys is better performance wise um obviously it's more comfortable shooting with a a bigger crew Uh, it takes longer and it's not necessarily a good thing for the performance um which funnily enough the coronavirus lockdown like post the lockdown might have some sort of knock-on effect where i know uh coming in for touch-ups hair and makeup etc in between Mm. in between setups might not be allowed to happen as often or an actor's being told to do them somewhat remotely so I think if an actor can just stay in their zone or stay with, concentrated and carry on working, which you've got no choice to when you're in a gale force wind with camera and someone's hanging <laughs> off a cliff and whatever. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say performance-wise, I'd rather shoot this way. Um, but my bank manager would rather I shoot the other way. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, Tim, what about yourself then? Obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, ditto. I, I feel the same way. And, and particularly working with, with you guys together, Andy and uh, Giles, I mean, you have such a smooth... 
uh, way of filming that there's very little talk, you know, and, and there's a lot of filming, which is great because it just allows you to stay in it and, and not the, the start and stop can really, I guess, be taxing at the end of the day when you're trying to have that through line of, of whatever the scene is, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing. And, and I think, you know, particularly Giles, you know this because you're, you're an experienced actor. So I think that's something you, you guys bring to the, uh, mm. the table when you film together, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, do you prefer working with directors who have acted? Is there a difference? I mean, I imagine there is, and I think there is, but from yeah. your expectation and Andy as well, is it easy to talk to? Is it, do they understand what you're going through? Yeah, Tim? absolutely. I, I think it's, it's everything, really, because as an actor, you, you're, when a director approaches you, and especially if they've got notes for you, straight away you're like, oh, okay, what have I done wrong? Or <laughs> where am I going? <laughs> or, okay, how do, how do I do this? Where I, th- I feel like if you're an experienced uh, actor and, and, and you're coming as a director, you know that already in your head. So, so you're bringing something to the table that is um, helpful. You know, you, you're not trying to create the more of a problem. <laughs> you're like, okay, that's fine. Let's let's go in this direction, or just a little bit of this, or you're doing a great job. You know, and and I think those things are just you know th- sometimes they can change the performance. Yeah, yeah, totally, Richard. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I was just thinking, well, okay, I'm working for a, a famous auteur right now in in Mr. Cohen, and and he wasn't an actor, although his wife is famously and as in the film of course mm. Frances McDormand and and so sh- we've been leaning on her actually dare I say um because we were given the luxury of of weeks and weeks of table reads and rehearsals yeah. like a like a theater troupe so you still had very much that so I'm agreeing basically with what Tim's saying I think some level whether it's in the in the marriage or the director himself uh, yeah. if they're if they're actors but Tim hit upon something interesting there too about saying you just automatically terrified of course you're saying oh god what did i do wrong because we're always assuming we're about to do something wrong Mm. but i think you do also get to a point where you learn that the 20 people staring at you off camera or holding a boom or holding a camera or doing whatever then they're actually not there to judge you they kind of want you to do well because it's good for them Mm -hmm. and you want them to do well Uh and suddenly there's a bit of a release when you start to actually instead of just think that but truly believe it you go, oh, right, okay, so he wants me to do well. She's gunning for me here. She really likes me when I say this bit, and, and everyone's there, and everyone's, that's that support thing again, you know? They're, so it looks like everyone's judging you because they're saying, right, Richard, Tim, walk out of this door, and there's 100 people in the room, and, and there's a crew behind them, and, mm. and it's awful, it's terrifying, and that's 100-plus people judging us and eyeballing us. But honestly, they're not. They're actually not. It just feels that way. Mm. It's everyone's on your side and wants you to get the mm. take as quick as they can so they can go home. That's great tips for actors yeah. out there. And also for yeah. directors, yeah. the both sides is, is for directors is learn to speak to your actors, understand what that's like, do some acting courses. And the other way around for actors is no one's yeah. judging you. They want you to do well. Don't try not to be nervous and just deliver the best you can. And hopefully your director will help guide you in the right way. You actually want to roll up and get creative and start talking because, of course, once you start a job, 
you obsess over that job. I know we all do cast and crew alike until the job's over. So you just want to swim in it all day, every day, but you can't because you're just waiting by the phone for your call time, which is two weeks Thursday or something. Yeah. Whereas in this, you're living yeah. it. You're literally there in Wales, all living right. together going, well, I'm King Arthur right now. Um, there was a really, it's certainly the actors. Yeah. yeah, totally. There was a really nice, moment where you, you I, I came over to you at one point i can't remember where we were probably on some cliff top getting blown around and getting rain on top of us i haven't said to anyone it rained have i um i love it you always you have not stopped mentioning the weather all day long can i just for no I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, we were blessed with the weather sorry guys, we were in, well we in the blizzard was it raining i hadn't noticed <laughs> <laughs> name that film name that film. brilliant so good um four weddings um so anyway i'm top of, i'm top of the cliff and we're getting rained on and whatever and i came to you rich and i said at one point i said are you okay is everything all right and he went mate how am i not okay I'm dressed in full gear. I've got a sword in my hand. I've got a crown in my other. And all the lads are shouting, Hail King Arthur! Hail King Arthur! <laughs> I feel amazing yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. Actually, they were shouting, Hail, Hail Arthur! It was my birthday that day, which felt really special. They didn't know that because I'm a quiet sort of, sort, as far as I think, but we actually, I'm stood in that great yeah. hall in uh, yeah. at, at Capilli Castle. And they're all shouting, hail you, you're the best dude, you're our god. They said dude. <laughs> and my little inside secret is, yeah, it's my birthday. This has been so much fun. So you want to give some, um, if there's any advice you can give to actors out there, or directors working with actors, one piece of advice, what would you give, Richard? I would say uh, learn to live and fill your own time first and foremost, because there's more of that than the other. Um, and if you can keep yourself busy, whatever that means, which of course is a message for the entire world right now, I understand that. But for actors particularly, this is somewhat of the norm, being locked in and locked in alone. So keep busy, write, do you know, study, read, do whatever it is you have to do, but keeping busy and keeping in things if given the opportunity is very important because people won't see you if you're not in something. So, so yeah, great. Advice. Do stuff. Great advice, yeah. Tim. Work with great people like, uh, your fine selves. Oh, stuff. Say, say it again. <laughs> well, do, you, do, you want, do you want another job or something? Tim? Uh... Well, well, I mean, I am currently unemployed, so why not? <laughs> Who isn't? Tim? Who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> that has been so much fun thank you both of you um richard short and tim fellingham for joining us on this very bumper special filmmakers podcast edition um you boys take care and yeah maybe yeah. one point we'll have a, a screening in london and we can all be together again i hope so that'd be beautiful all right so cheers boys take care bye bye see you guys so that was Tim Fillingham, who played Lancelot, and the lovely Richard Short, who played King Arthur. So now we're going to move on to um, our uh, podcast with the knights, or our section with the with the knights. I'm laughing because, you know, we had You're presenting. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> presenting voices, but no, it's great. Carry on. Oh, this is fun. no. No, it's, it's really good. I'm learning from Please. two actors. This is great. <laughs> Actors is a is a loose term. Actors is a really, really loose, loose term. term. Especially for one of us. Right, go on. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm laughing at introducing the knights now because obviously we had all these these guys come onto this section of the podcast and it was just like, it was kind of like, uh, you know, boys at a football match. 
It was amazing. So you'll notice, actually, I don't talk a lot in this section of the podcast because it's all lads, lads, lads. So uh, Giles, Andy, what was it like working with all this... um, well, this rabble. is testosterone. <laughs> Testosterone-filled rabble. All right, you can imagine this. As an actor, right, getting to play a knight is an incredible thing. You get to play a knight who's named. It's a brilliant thing to do. Of course it is. Of course you're going to be pumped up. There's, there's, a, there's a video I think Daniel Schutzman took of them all doing press-ups mm. on the well in Caerphilly Castle <laughs> before a take, you know what I mean? They're all like, pump, pump, pump. And it's incredible. But it was brilliant to work with them all. And there was a lot of them. So we had to manage that and how do you shoot them all individually so Andy I want to ask you how do we go about shooting that between us I mean yeah I mean I can talk technical but I mean the, the honest answer is the guys were so easy to work with and they had so much um enthusiasm energy and energy yeah just like just <laughs> inexhaustible energy like so they were like yeah we'll go again no problem and there's a, I think of a scene where like there's a big walk and talk the whole guys are walking down a hill and going over a river and crossing and coming down it's a big long like two three minute scene mm. and they were like yeah no problem up top of the hill again straight down so we got all the coverage and everything we needed um and they hit their marks again and again and again and and, and there was no problem there's no grumbling like we wouldn't have been able to get it if they hadn't been such cool guys so like for me that's yeah. how we did it <laughs> was have a load of great actors you know Totally agree. And also, I think it does help that we set the tone from the off. So like myself and you, Andy, we'd be out in the rain first. Mm. You know, we'd be literally running out with the camera, me and you going. So, of course, they're going to follow us. Whereas if we were sat and going, oh, it's raining, I don't want to do this. Under umbrellas. Under umbrellas, oh, I don't want to do it. But me and you were soaked and drenched and they can see that. And I think that helps. But do you know what? They might have done it anyway because they. it was a really lovely bunch. And like I say, I think we'll all stay friends for life. And I think that's lovely. And it's difficult for a director to relationship it is different you you can't be best mates you've got to have that like teacher relationship that slight you know captain of the ship thing so you you can't be bezies but you can get on with them it's interesting you know like yeah it's it's different with dps but but there is still that line like i don't want it because i get so close to actors i want them to feel comfortable with me but you can't get too close to them emotionally or friendly because you don't want to be in their head when they're acting you're right there with a the camera you kind of want to be invisible to them as well so it's yeah there's a there's a definitely a line to walk there as well I mean, mm. yeah. and it's a fun one because this doesn't get taught a lot but it, it's really important directors dps producers you have to have that line really that do, slight yeah. line and i didn't understand that as an actor and you probably didn't listen to either you sort of like well you, you want them to be the captain and you want them to tell you if you're doing well or not and that's so important for me one of the biggest tips i could give any director is after every take say something to the actors anything like that was great we're moving on or i'm going to go again here's why and explain because it's so nerve-wracking and vulnerable being an actor and it is you think you're not good enough constantly even if you're meryl streep you do think that it does go through their heads they've all talked about it so as a director as a producer dop it doesn't hurt to go yeah you nailed that really well done what i'm going to do is do this again because there's a problem with camera because there was a problem with the light because there's a problem with the weather whatever it is make it up if you have to because you just want to go again um because you need something else but yeah working with actors is a is a tough one but yeah you've just got to think of ways around it and get the best you can to make the best film you can because that's what's important it's it's really heavy going for your brain because as much as a producer and dp has everything going on the director it's not just directing a movie you're managing i I don't want to say the word ego but every in every human being in the world has an ego and they have to manage it as an individual themselves but the director has to manage them as well for them and help them along. Yeah. 
So true, and I'm so glad you brought that up. It's very true. And not only just do you have to manage them, but you have to manage the rest of the team as well. Yeah. So you might have costume coming up and going, well, do you want this colour or this colour tomorrow? Or we've lost this now. Or you might come up and say, we've lost a location tomorrow. Or And you'll say, I think we should use this lens or this lens. Which do you want to use? So you constantly got all these questions going on in your mind and all these things you've got to think about and answer. Even, even like a scene ahead or a week ahead, you have to know the answer. So your brain is on fire and you... You have to be on top of it because if you're not, you'll drown. And people will see that. And as soon as people see that, they don't trust you anymore and they start going, this is a piece of shit. And it all goes downhill. So you have to know. Even if you don't know, lie. Say, I'll have the yellow one first. Andy, I'll have 35. Lucinda, (laughs) yes, we'll have that location instead. Don't worry if you don't know. You change. It's true. You change your mind later. You're allowed to. Don't worry about it. So, yeah, it's amazing. So, on that note, let's get to the cacophony of madness that is our nights. They are all wonderful, but do bear with it. This was recorded on Zoom. So, enjoy. This is our fantastic Knights of Camelot having a chat about how they made Knights of Camelot. (laughs) Enjoy. So delighted to have you all here. Is my Knights of Camelot. Hello, boys. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Good. What I love about Skype is we're all not going to understand what anyone else has said. (laughs) Right. Who remembers uh, uh, anything that happened that was a delight? Well, I, I just Darpy being... falling off a horse. Who <laughs> fell off a horse? Darpy. Awesome. Which was which was absolutely on purpose, by the way, so I could man up the uh, the level of uh, masculinity on this set. Well, I think I, I think to be fair, that was my fault. Somehow, I was the one who got told off for Ian falling off the horse. I think it was basically because I uh, Ian had led me to believe that he was a master horseman. Um, so I, I, the only one that passed the horse test that's not true <laughs> I, uh, I'll refute that it was Lancelot's horse wasn't it that got spooked or something and then yeah. Mike did a big the... circle yeah yeah, sure he's not here let's blame him yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. and talking about like pain and, and actually what you guys went through you were all troopers you all proper got stuck in and there was so much mud and rain and sword fighting and bits and moments where you know to talk about shoes that you know you had amazing costumes but when those I say shoes those boots got wet your feet were soaking wet but yet you look all still went through it and did it to call them boots is is generous they're basically socks aren't they <laughs> so they're like really thick socks but they look really great for the thing and the cool thing about that is I mean I think with all this stuff like with all like things being tough and wet and rubbish on the day sometimes in that moment is that like it all kind of adds to it anyway. I mean, it yeah. make, there's very there's very little acting required to like you're supposed you know we're not supposed to be comfortable and warm in those scenes. So, you know, I think the more as an actor you can embrace that stuff and just like lean into it. And also, when you're with a bunch of cool guys and you all get on, then you create that sense of camaraderie that hopefully comes across then on the film as well. So I think I had you know. plastic bags in my boots <laughs> and I kept my feet dry. I realized that was the way forward. Yeah. So I had a couple of um, yeah. Sano plastic bags and then um, I didn't get wet feet. Uh, it's it's like an actor's dream, right? To be, you know, sword fighting and get on the back of a horse and be Knights of Camelot. Talk about that side of it, what you learn, what other actors could learn from this uh, and what you think you can do differently on a set next time or what you, you know, you really enjoy doing on a set. Um, uh, let's start with you, Ian. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that was my first experience with uh, weapons like that. And uh, I think I was training with James, right, I think, and you'd already had some previous experience. Um, 
you know, when you when you go into a film like this, you think, oh, well, I can easily hold a sword, I can throw it around, I can look all yeah. kind of tough and macho. But then when you get on camera, you look like an idiot if you haven't practiced and prepared. So just having that rehearsal period beforehand made a huge difference, and then ultimately saved time on set. So uh, yeah, that was a really uh, that was fun. I think with with any I think with any fights and weapon stuff, it's always rehearsal, 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 isn't it? I think the trick the trick with that kind of stuff as well is to um, work with the material you've got because some of those swords there is a difference between the really heavy ones and the light ones. And if you had a light one, you had to put on the heaviness of it and things like that. It's knowing what it is, and it's also knowing the relationship because I think when I first I worked on uh, Robin Hood with um, Lucinda beforehand, and one of the things the stunt guy there said is that you've got to know the relationship that the, your character is having with the sword. So one, are they trained in it? Do they know what they're doing? If they do, you have to look like you know what you're doing. If they don't, don't look too good with it. Um, and the other thing is, what's the relationship with it? This thing is not, it, they didn't do it to look really cool and look really macho. They, they were killing things and they were trying to keep people away from them. So it's knowing the lethality of the thing. So if you've got a sword coming towards you, react to the fact you've got a killing machine coming towards you rather than trying to look kind of John John Wayne about it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much a reaction can sell a fight. Yeah. I mean, I bet I bet Giles is sitting there silently going, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, when we cut this. Excuse <laughs> me, when we cut this, you guys were missing all the time, but the reactions were good, so I was able to use the shot, you know what I mean? And you stick a good sound effect in there. And Well, that's so interesting, because, you, you know, my style and Andy's style, we like to keep shooting. So for you guys, you sometimes didn't know when you were on camera and when you weren't, which meant you were always doing something or at least a- attempting to. That, to me, was really important, because Andy would steal a glance from one of you or steal a bit, especially when you haven't got much time to shoot something. And you know you've got to cram it in. You've got, you know, eight nights to shoot and get close-ups and stuff, then therefore I could just steal something. So it was brilliant that you guys just kept going. And that's something that I, why I loved casting you all and why I thought you were all fantastic is that you did that. You didn't give up. You kept going, even through the rain, and you all got out there and, you know, there's no complaining from, I didn't hear any, and that was, you know, a delight. It was great fun. There was a lot of energy as well. We had good energy and we enjoyed using it, even though that, you know, by the end of the night we were exhausted, we were then you know, somehow fresh the next day to do it all over again. Yeah. There was a lot of sitting around. So, you know, I mean, my, my cheeks were hurting at the end of every day from laughing. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there was one break in filming that wasn't filming laughter. Yeah. yeah. The big climactic battle sequence in our film, there are films where they would have spent literally the run, the in our entire shooting schedule, like however many days it was, shooting just that sequence, you know, and you're shooting it in tiny little micro beats. Uh, I much prefer to <laughs> get out and have a day or two of really, really smashing out that fight stuff, as long as you can keep it safe. Mm. Um, but that way you actually get a bit of continuity in the fight and all that stuff, um, rather than you know when it's dismantled into tiny pieces. I think one of my overriding memories of that is, is Ian Sharp's right boot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, that's what, what comes comes into my head when I think of the shooting and what he was going through. Some of the funniest things I've ever seen him try to run with that boot. Just constant. It was at, we did everything we could do to patch it up, but we managed to make it work in the end. But yeah, that was just 
relentless. In, an entire <laughs> sequence is ruined by, no, guys, my boots. No, no, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> it was some brilliant moments because I had, had you guys running across the plains, you know, this windy uh, hurricane day. And I was like, no, no, we're going to shoot. And do you mind? And you're all like, no, no, of course. So I said, okay, me and Andy are going to have the camera on the far end of the plane. This It looked like amazing. Um, <laughs> had a big puddles in it. And it was just cool as hell. And I said, right, you guys are going to be at the far end. And you're just going to run when I wave my hands. And you're just going to keep running. And you just all kept going. It was amazing to watch. And I'm delighted to tell you it's not in the movie. So. I knew it. I said it. I said it literally as we were running across the, f- the thing, Giles. I was like, boys, you realize this is never going to be in the fucking movie. Oh, I was dead. I really wanted it to be because at the end, you just all fell on the floor and this brilliant Sharpie's boots literally hanging off and you're literally sprinting as fast as you can. It's like a thousand meters. But, but that was a taste of of how I think we all managed to hopefully make something special was we were all willing to do that, even though there was that chance that it wasn't going to make the film. We could see the location and we we're all like, wow, that I, I didn't know there was a chance it wasn't going to be in. I thought, <laughs> Nothing wrong with a bit of extra cardio, boys. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Totally. Aaron is the sort of the youngest, if you like, of the knights and uh, sort of maybe your first feature, right? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, to this yeah. sort of level. Then how did it feel to join a bunch of guys, we'll call them that, uh, and and girls on the cast and crew, for you to jump into something like this? What was that experience like? It was fantastic. So I got, so I literally, within the space of a day, about a week before the audition, a callback audition in the part, um, and then filmed the week after. So I was like really, really nervous because um, I didn't sort of want to let, let's, sort of the film down because i hadn't really been on a set like this before but thankfully everyone was amazing in like welcoming sort of my lack of experience mixed with theirs and i'll be in there it was that's exactly sort of i remember sat sitting down with everyone and just at first being really nervous being like oh god they have so much to talk about and and i don't really have that um but i found myself just listening and watching them and then i learned so much like stuff that you would think is so simple, I learned from them. There was like a, a shot I had to do, and no one else was on the screen, and everyone gave me a hundred percent. They even like spoke to me and, and said, "What do you need?" They were acting to as if they were having a close up, so I could get the best reaction from me. And I just thought that's that's what you learn stuff like that from this, from people who've been in the industry and has had the the, the experience of these people. I'm working with directors mm. like yourself and producers like Lucinda who know how to get the best out of people. Ooh, I, t- I took so much away from that, sort of almost as much as my entire acting degree from that three weeks of shooting. That's amazing. Thanks, Aaron. In terms of tips and tricks for actors to come on a set like this and working with directors in any field, but what have you learned over your times, and especially on Arthur and Merlin, that you could, you're could you going to take forward to the next thing? Um, anything like that would be great. Uh, let's start with you, Steve. Always do your homework. A lot of younger, more new people to the industry, the, the big mistake they, they do make is is not doing you know that 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 extra bit of prep before they get on set um and just like knowing who's around you as well so like look looking at that if you've never worked with a director before just looking at what he's done before and the kind of style style of movies he shot 
and maybe if you can find out how they like to work, uh, looking at the producer, um, the kind of films or TV series that that company's made, just so you, you come in there with, with a full body and obviously knowing the world that you're entering. I think an, an actor, um, their responsibility and the reason why we, we get hired is to give something else that isn't actually on the page to take what's on the page and just give it, give it that little extra for a young actor, isn't it? It's like, you know, once, once you get to set, that's kind of permission to be like a new, a starting out person. You know, a thing to learn is that like, once you get to set, that's your permission to relax because you've already got yeah. the job. Like you already did the hard bit. Like you already sat in the room with the producer and the director and everyone was really serious. And it was like, yeah. Oh, am I going to get it? And you've already done the worrying bit. Right. So, once you get to set, like feel like you have permission, like yeah. Aaron did a great job of, mm. to come on there and just like do his thing and not feel inferior to the people who had had more work than yeah. him on the set. Like you know, you're there. You already earned your yeah. place. Mm. Just for a specifically for a piece like Nights, uh, like an ensemble piece, I think the thing to remember is figure out where your character fits into that ensemble. Where where does it sit? Where's the sweet spot? Don't try it. It's not about being the most memorable behind the thing or you know i'll do this thing and i'll be noticed the most over here everyone on our set knew where their character fit in and why mm -hmm. so i think with any ensemble piece it's figure out where you fit in in that perfect perfect sharpie little little advice for actors yeah, out there. i think james and Stephen have touched on it you know service the story you know um you're there to kind of obviously deliver and bring your interpretation but trust Trust your ensemble, you know, trust your, 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 your actors alongside, trust the director, trust the producer and, and try and have fun and, and bring some ideas to the table as well. Yeah, trust yourself. Add, your, add yourself to that list of people that you should trust, you know. Yeah, totally. Great advice. Uh, Chris, final bit from you. Hello. Hiya, Chris. Hello. Ah, <laughs> oh, we lost Chris. I wanted pearls of wisdom from you there, buddy. Never mind. Um, but thank you. Uh, everyone that's been really really cool pretty really appreciate your time and i can't wait for everyone to see how amazing you are uh all of you i think you did a fantastic job so well done well done thanks man nice one child cheers boys cheers how's that guys yeah um lovely to hear from all the uh, chaps again um so we got <laughs> That's terrible. That was terrible. Jeez, you're a hard. great presenter. You so took the mickey out of me. No, you're very good. I didn't. Andrew. I was genuinely serious. No, I was like, I am good. learning here. Okay, I'm not going to try and do anything. No, good. you're very okay. good. Jeet said you're very good. So there you go. Uh, acting? No, no not acting. You're lovely. So you said that was the nights. It was cacophony and it was a madness. And? And? So that was a nights. That was a bit mad, but I hope you enjoyed it. We did. Um, up next is uh, is makeup and I can't do it if you're going to laugh. Okay, okay, that's look, it. Look, that's my take. That was great. That, that was well great. We that do have we do have Robin Manson next, our costume designer, and Brody Mayhew, our makeup and hair designer. They're both wonderful girls. I've worked with them before, so they were the best choice to work with Giles Alderson. Here's their interview on the Filmmakers Podcast. That's how it's done. So. Hello. Hey, Brody. Hello. Hey, Robin. Hello. Hiya. Hey. <laughs> Hi, girls. Nice to see you again. You too. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robin Manton, our lovely costume designer, and Brody Mayhew, our wonderful makeup artist and uh, designer, joining us uh, for this very special podcast edition of the Knights of Camelot. How are you girls doing? You all right? Very well. Thank you. Yeah, very well. Good. How's the lockdown been all right for you? A little bit 
stir crazy of you guys been doing stuff and working on your craft what's happening yeah I mean trying to keep as busy as possible um obviously I can't get within two meters of anyone so it's quite difficult to be doing mm. what I usually do you mentioned obviously Brody you can't get within two meters of anybody and and same for Robin actually because you both work so closely with actors um and actually the um the costume designer and makeup designer uh, particularly uh, when I was an actress I found that they were kind of partly our therapists as well because you're so close <laughs> to the actor um, yeah and you guys are the first people that actors see when they come in yeah you're right it is a little bit like therapy and stuff in the morning I've missed that actually going in and chatting it is it. for sure and you get a lot of the gossip as well don't you girls because you're first in line for it mm-hmm. is that not annoying yeah. though is that not sometimes really annoying when, you know, because you're like, I've just got to get on with my job. And someone's coming in and giving you their last night's, I don't know. For me personally, right? only when I'm doing the lipstick. That is, that's a tricky one when I'm trying to do that and they're giving me the hot gossip. Otherwise, I'm, I'm all for it. Right. <laughs> I, right. I love well, it. <laughs> That whole onset camaraderie is amazing because some me and Andy will will come in and we'll come in and say hi, and then we'll go off and do our thing. Or I might talk to the actors about the scene, but we'll be going off and setting up the shots. And you guys have that really lovely moments with the actors when they're really finding their place. So for me as a director, it's very important that my makeup and costume are, are friendly and are likable also brilliant at their jobs but so that therefore the actors feel comfortable they feel relaxed so that they can get on with their day because like Lucinda says they're the f- you're the first people they really interact with like you said with with being trusting and they need to feel comfortable with you especially if we had it with um with Stella on on Arthur and Merlin some mood scenes where mm-hmm. she needs to feel really comfortable and trust us so it, mm-hmm. it's definitely important to be able to gain that trust with the actors too I suppose let's break down how you work on a set then. You know, what's your process about when you first get approached, when you first get the script? How do you break it all down? Brody? let's start with you. Um, initially, I just read through the script all in one go. Um, I don't sort of go through scene by scene. I like to just read it as you would like a book. Um, and then I'll go back and break down the scenes, the characters in the scenes, what's happening in the scenes and what hair, makeup, special effects needed. Um, and then I make sort of a, a breakdown on the page um, and I sort of keep that with me throughout the whole um, shooting afterwards. And that's sort of what the way I've, I can visually see it that way. I just find it much easier. And then when we get all of the call sheets through and the breakdowns of the days, I'll then break that down even further, literally as basic as possible. It just makes your life so much easier, I find. Yeah, um, same with me. I start off with reading it like a book, so you get a real good sort of initial feeling. Um, and then, yeah, go into it further, break down every character, what changes they have. Um, and I like to go and do some research, um, uh, some, you know, reference books, and then obviously talking with the director and getting a feel of what they, where they want to go with the characters. And colour palette is really important. Fabrics are really important. Um, specific, um, accessories um yeah it's um it's a lot of fun Um, I also like to just do some sketches and just get some ideas down on paper Mm. then it sort of sparks more and more ideas from that and psychologically I like to get into the head of the characters and and you know so uh, um, a person from that time is going to wear a lot of layers because they'll have one essentially one outfit they'll they'll carry a lot on them on their belts and um what kind of footwear would they use are they scruffy are they smart and so yeah that's where I go from that (laughs) 
which is really interesting because when we first started talking about Arthur and Merlin uh, about the sort of designs of it and you were sending me sketches you were sending me ideas and that was really wonderful for me to see and sort of go okay that's the direction we're going and it was really great and we're sending pictures backwards and forwards which I think is massively valuable when you haven't got much time and you're rushing through sometimes on the days and beforehand in prep that you could send me stuff and I was getting photos all the time and from your wonderful assistants as well and it was fantastic to get that because I knew what was what you were aiming for uh, and you sent me so many different options as well. Is that difficult sometimes when you have to keep doing different options? I know it's part of your job, but is it you find a design and someone, well, the director or the production goes, no, it's not where we want to go? Um, I think what I've, what I've um, come to realise is you can't be precious with your designs. You can have, you can have really um, good ideas that you think are really good and then the director doesn't, um, it doesn't quite see it the same way. And, and that's okay. At the end of the day, you are... Um, it, it's you're creating something someone else's vision so you've got to get into their head as well and I actually find that quite fun you know trying to work out how do they see it and also how how can I see it and and um, get excited about it from my sort of creatively from my point of view too um so yeah I listen very carefully um and I like to um I like to, it's a really great feeling when you get it spot on and uh the director um the producers are like this is it this is what we wanted so yeah that's really um yeah really fun yeah it is I remember the moment when I first saw the Merlin costume uh, and saw all the feathers and the bits you'd put on and literally we all just went oh yeah yeah absolutely in the purple and it worked within yeah. the, the the color palette that we had uh, Andy do you want to touch upon the color palette? yeah I was just going to expand on that I mean obviously I, I was there I know how we worked together but but for the audience how did you and Giles um, come together with that color palette well initially um, I was sent a really helpful uh, mood reel Mm-hmm. that had references of um, the Macbeth, the 2015 Macbeth. And um, also I identified that there were some Vikings in there from Amazon Prime. Um, mm-hmm. And these, um, they're, they're just really lovely um, references. Um, there's a lot of moody colours. There's a lot of burgundy, a lot of inky, indigo, blues, and uh, a lot of earth tones too, very natural colours. So, um, yeah, that's where, where I sort of initially started. And then Giles and me spoke about um, which specific characters to wear um, each colour, like a virgin of whites or creams for um, Guinevere, uh, royal blues for uh, Arthur, uh, darker media colours for Modred, mm. that, that kind of thing. I was very much given a lot of direction, which was really mm. helpful and important sure, to me. Yeah. So same question for you, Brody. I mean, how did you how did you go about building the looks for each character? Is that something you, you and Giles did together or? Yeah, quite silly. I, I personally love collaborating with people and getting different ideas. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Rob, and you can't take it personally if someone has a, a different look for you because being creators, we all I think we all see a visual quite quite early on. So and you can't expect that to all be the same. So you've got to you've got to take criticism and you've got to understand that people are going to have different views than you. And I personally like working like that. Um, mm. But yeah, I think I, I, I work more on um, like a mood board sort of basis. Um, it's quite difficult to, in terms of like the wounds and stuff for um, Arthur and Merlin, it's sort of, um, it might change because of the choreography of the fight on the day. Um, so you can't in certain aspects plan that far ahead with like a certain set design or drawing. Um, so I think I just sort of sent Giles quite a lot of images of um, sort of similar. Fit. I think I actually touched on Vikings as well in some of my um, initial mm-hmm. mood boards. Um, yeah, you did. 
yeah but yeah a lot of different wounds I mean with a period piece I mean people they still cut in the same way they still sure. bleed in the same way yeah. would now but um what I really enjoyed was working with the art department well let's talk about that then that's perfect timing to go on to uh talking about wounds on set and blood and the fact was there was a lot of dirty um muddy nights the costumes got really wet and muddy and their faces got muddy and wet and a lot of the time it was just the two of you you know in in the trenches literally getting muddy with us and you're trying to still put blood on and it's raining and you're still trying to make sure these the continuity of all that is in place. So I suppose, how do you go about that then? How do you, I mean, it's almost really difficult, I know, but to just even plan those, right, tomorrow's this shot. We're going to, someone's going to get, you know, uh, bullets, not a bullet, because there's no bullets in this, is there? And, and a, a wound through the eye, isn't there? Yeah. The sword. Someone's going to get a sword. So how do you plan that? And then how do you stay on top of the continuity for, for both of you? Brody, we'll start with you. Um, yeah, so it is quite difficult to plan when the elements are against you like that. You've sort of got to just take it as it comes. Um, one thing I always I'm always make sure I'm just I'm prepped. I've got sort of everything in my kit that I need to. So if something does change on the day or like as we're standing there, I've got it with me and I don't have to worry like, oh, gosh, I've not got that here. What am I going to do? Um, so I sort of overpack and almost bring everything I've got with me um, just to make sure that there's always a, a backup there. You don't want to be left without an option. Um, but yeah, there is, it's, it is tricky when, cause we really were against the elements in some of those places. Um, mm-hmm. lucky enough now, I mean, the makeup and stuff has progressed. So you've got a lot of alcohol based paints, which won't run. They'll, they'll stay put for most part of the day. Um, but with bloods and stuff, you've just got to be on set and you've got to be present, keep topping up in between takes. Um, and taking pictures for continuity with um, a couple of my assistants as well. I was quite, I made it quite a big thing to just snap pictures as much as you can. So if we're shooting the same scene the next day, we'll know exactly what it was and it, it wouldn't have changed. So yeah, continuity, um, making pages literally per character, per scene is something else I like to do just to make sure I'm I'm hot with all of yeah, that, that stuff. And, then, and for me, that was really interesting for both of you that when because we're obviously we're not shooting in order most films can't shoot in order it's just too difficult with location spaces and when you hire them etc or when you've got a woods you've only got it for two days and you've got them in a row so uh we're often jumping from scene to scene so at the start of the movie then we'll jump to the end of the movie so for you and it's great that you're saying you took photos of people out there who are going ah right that's what we have to do so for continuity so you knew you could just flip through your book and go okay what happened just before was that wound was there or especially for someone like our King Arthur, who was getting more dirty with the costumes and with the makeup and blood and was more and more and more. So you knew you could get that exactly right each time. Um, is that something that is easier, something you learn or was it something that you've learned even more by being on movie sets? Maybe I, I briefly touched upon, it, I think in training, but um, you you learn far more very handy things like that when, when you're actually on set and, you see it being done if you're a trainee or, um, well, I mean, a lot of the times as a trainee, I had a few jobs where I was purely just logging the continuity books. I wasn't actually, you know, performing makeup on the arm, but I was oh, on set okay. and I was, I was logging yeah. the, it, it was a really good experience. Actually. I learned a lot from doing that. Um, mm. and it, it, it will save, save you in the, in the long run. If you are there on set one day and they're like, Oh no, we're quickly going to do this scene now. And you're like, Oh my God, what was that? I have no idea. Yeah. You just flick through it and it's there. So, yeah, for me, it, it's it's quite a it's, it's a lifesaver, really. 
It must be, especially for someone like me. It's great. It really helps so much that you two are massively on top of your game with that because I'm probably not the only director who does change things and suddenly go, I want a bit more blood here. And you go, well, actually, the continuity of the scene that we've already shot was a bit less blood. Mm. But you're going, yeah, but he could have rubbed it off because at the time (laughs) the director, i.e. me, wants something more. Um, Again, is it okay uh, to deal with that and how? what's the best way to approach that kind of thing? it's talking isn't it it's it's just I think we had it a few times where I was like oh that that wouldn't quite match up with this one but it's a bit creative license I guess you can call it like you said oh he would have rubbed that off or he would have bled a bit more the rain washed it away it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah Um, so there's ways around it yeah absolutely Uh, Robin let's talk about the costumes in terms of Mm. you know it did rain a lot. Uh, I haven't said this on this podcast at all. Um, but yeah, rain. <laughs> I'm sure you mentioned it once or twice. Um, I loved it because it added massively to, to the production value. But yeah. for you, Robin, you've got these really heavy woolen, in most cases, costume. If not, you've mm. got the leathers. You've got all this old stuff. How do you go about going, oh, my God, how are we going to even continue to keep this dry? Uh, what, mm. what, what, what should people do with kind of you know when this happens well um we basically we try to do our best to um to dry things out every night um uh all the mud and rain actually added to a really great look on costumes because um it's a natural breakdown and when you don't have time to sort of break something down and make it look um authentic yeah it's um it adds to it as well um but obviously uh for the comfort of the actors we had to try and um go back every evening and so i hung everything up in in a room and made made a temporary hot box um which is uh i got a couple of heaters and i just left them on Uh, i dried everything i could with towels but the hot box um would be left overnight um in major productions usually they'd have a trailer where they do this and just make it really warm so everything would dry out and it would be comfortable and dry for the actor in the morning however um with the shoes the shoes did not dry (laughs) great so uh, we found a way around this by using um some uh cling film that i would wrap around the actor's feet um and uh yeah that would save them a lot uh from you know being uncomfortable robin do you find um on a smaller indie feature rather than the big pictures that you have uh, more creativity and more control. Is that something that you think? Definitely. Um, There's very little input when I'm working on major films. And um, my just my dream is to to design. And so, yeah, you ultimately you have a lot of the control and uh, creativity. And I feel so much more alive when when I'm able to um, yeah be uh, uh, in control of the creative process even though you're taking direction from producer and director you're still you're still your expertise is 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 valued um and so i find it 100 percent more rewarding than than a, a bigger film and finally some bits of advice if you have anything else uh, you've given so much already to up-and-coming makeup and hair or, or costume designers from from your side of it what advice could you give a younger you basically Brody? Um, practice, practice, practice. I think you, you really can't go wrong with that. It's, it's the only way you're going to, you know, hone your skill and get better at it is just, is just trying on yourself, trying on your friend, family, whoever, whoever's available, who will ever let you throw makeup on them. Um, that, that was a massive thing I found that really helped me, but also, um, is be experienced in, um, 
for personally a makeup side of things all different types of skin tones is a massive thing and I think you're going to come across all different races all different skin tones all different hair types as well um you really need to know the whole lot of that It, it it just won't cut it if you're only you know partly focusing on one sort of set there so I think people get scared of it um, mm-hmm. that's probably one of the biggest things I think at the moment I would suggest to a younger me <laughs> perfect uh, and Robin from the costume side I think um, uh, just to really believe in yourself know that you can do it break it down into small chunks so it doesn't seem so massive and you also have to be completely and utterly organized just live and breathe it to be honest from from start to finish so that you're looking at every angle and anticipating every problem um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah just have faith (laughs) amazing and don't Uh, flap no one likes a flapper i think that's mm -hmm. on set that's quite a good thing it does it stresses everyone out everyone wants to feel calm and relaxed and i think if if you are under pressure and you don't react well i think that's that's a very good skill to have. Amazing advice. Both of those are fantastic bits because it's so true. There's nothing worse than a flapper. Mm. For me as a director, if I go, right, we're changing this or this has happened or there's a problem, and then if you flap, then that causes more problems. So it yeah. was great that you two didn't, and it was great, great bit of advice that I think that's so wonderful. I don't want to see anyone flapping. It's, it just, no, it doesn't, it doesn't help. help anyone. Anyone. So, yeah, great. I love that. No flappers. No flappers. No flappers. <laughs> yeah, great. So I should be on a t-shirt. Amazing. Thank you so much, girls. I really appreciate it. Oh, wow. That was amazing. For all those people who never hear about how costume happens on set and makeup, there you go. That was incredible, real insightful. Thank you so much, Brody and Robin, for doing that. You stars, both of you, and you're wonderful on set. Um, Really good. Thank you. I'm sure you listeners learned something from that. I'm 100% you did. So um, I'm jumping in here to tell you this is a two-parter i mean it's already two hours and i haven't even finished the edit this is telling you i'm in my shed now um in the middle of the night uh, recording this because i want this to be a bumper edition i could have spent ages cutting it all up but wasn't there some amazing info there damn right there was for you filmmakers out there and even actors today and crew members absolutely learn from this so uh, this is part one Um, I'm going to put part two out on Friday and obviously on part two we have uh, our wonderful actors Stella Stocker, Jennifer Matter and Joel Fillimore who tell you all about their experiences but we have production designer Jamie Foote then we go on to post-production where we talk with Ollie Parker about how he edits movies and what his experience was on making Knights of Camelot and then we talk to Jeet about post-production he also produced the movie as well and then we wrap it up obviously with myself Andrew Roger and Lucinda Rhodes Thackeray as well. I hope you've enjoyed this part one. If you have, tell your friends, spread the word. That's how we grow. And um, yeah, do thank us for this because, oh my gosh, uh, it's been a massive labour of love. The movie is out now, Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot. Do go support it if you can. And remember, you can go make your indie film. You can do it. Just know who your audience is and look to the stars, not down at your feet. And remember, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you Friday for part two. Until then, take care. Bye bye.